All right, so we're live. Yes, we're live. So we're cooking live. And I'm going to set this up on the speaker so whoever's speaking will be seen. All right. So um, ETM Hotep, this is your brother Wujau, Min Ib Ma'at. And today is Wednesday, June 9th. And we are live on the Seshu Mani Metal Nature YouTube channel. And so tonight, I want to reintroduce a series of shows that we did in the past, but I want to reintroduce it and so that we can kind of bring it back to life, breathe life back into it, because I, I strongly feel that it is definitely that time again to resurrect, um, you know, our series of shows. And it's refer I'm referring to the Sabait Dome, and that's what you see on the screen. Welcome to the Sabait Dome, where misinformation and false claims related to ancient Kemet are addressed. All right, so in the past, we had a series of shows where we would specifically pull out information that maybe people will bring to our attention or that one of us may see ourselves. And then we would um, deal with the information and weigh whether it's you know accurate, inaccurate, up, down, left, right, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so things that are not correct or misinformation, we would address it and we would do this. And so, um, you know, I feel this is time for us to kind of bring that back because there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, I mean, it's always has been, but certain things about Kemet, though, specifically, you know, they, they had, they, they peak, it's, you know, it kind of peaks his head up and then it goes dormant for a while then it comes back up you know we have this ebb and flow this rise and rising of the tide lowering of the tide of this information and so when it's when it comes up we catch it and then you know we kind of address it for the sake of everybody's benefit all right so we address it we don't have any um, personal thing against any person it's all about information and all of our goals should be to deal with accurate information to get to to get to reality that's it and so if anybody i don't care if they're male or female man or woman black white purple brown yellow or purple from earth from mars from from the ether or wherever it doesn't none of that stuff matters it always it all matters is whether or not the claims are real and that's it. And so it's nothing personal. Um, and information shouldn't be personalized where people identify with information anyway, because in scholarship, every real scholar, um, and I don't even like saying real scholar because it's you either a scholar or you're not, but scholars, scientists, and the likes fully understand that you never identify with information because in scholarship, and in science, the advancement of knowledge, it's all about picking apart information and pulling it apart, exposing its guts to see if it's real or not, to get closer and closer to reality by a process of elimination. You want to eliminate chance, eliminate errors, eliminate, um, you know, uh, guesswork, um, coincidence. And all these other things, that's the process. And so we have to put biases under control 
egos under control, so on and so forth. And that's what it's all about. That's part of the process. And so, again, I just want to reiterate, it's never personalized or personal um, when you deal with information. But in, in a lot of um, platforms in the so-called conscious community, the opposite is not only not only does it happen, but it's practically encouraged where people will identify with information to the point where if you address the information, that person feels like you're attacking them and not dealing with the information. And I'm sure everybody who, who's going to watch this video in the archive and hear me say this, you know it's true because I'm sure you've witnessed it at some point or another where somebody will get upset and argument and noise and whatnot because you're dealing with information, but a person takes it personally. And, and you know, like I said, uh, schooling scholars, scholarly background would, would, would cultivate you, your mind and, and train you not to do that. And so a lot of people who do that, they don't have that background. They don't have that training or that cultivation. So true scientists, real scholars understand, know this and behave accordingly. All right. And so this is what the Sabai Dome is um, all about. Now, the name the Sabai Dome is a play on the um, word Pterodome, um, which is a play on Thunderdome. Pterodome is made popular by Public Enemy. Welcome to the Pterodome. And they got it from um, the Thunderdome, Mad Max and the Thunderdome with um, Tina Turner and Mel Gibson, the old Thunderdome movie. And so that's where the name. So the name is a play on that. And the Sabait, the word Seba or Sabait is the word for instructions, education, teaching, being a disciple, student, et cetera. It's all centered around education. And so, so the Sabait Dome is a dome of education, but done so in a way where we actually address the elephants in the room and misinformation straight up and head on. All right. No chaser. No, no nothing. All right. Just raw and real. And that's how we like to deal with it. No innuendos. No, none of that stuff on going either way. No innuendos, no attack, no, no, nothing personal or anything like that. Just dealing with the information straight up just like that. All right. So that's a little history on this series. And so we're going to bring this back. And so I'm just explaining it now. So that anybody who um, may see this video in the archive and share this video, share, you know, our channel and make sure you subscribe to our channel because we're going to be doing this a um, little bit more um, now. We're going to bring this back. So we have Divine Words Wednesdays. Today is Wednesday, but we um, decided to do this. Sabite, welcome to the Sabite Dome, Divine Words Wednesdays, which are really presentations and then Freestyle Fridays where we have interaction and, you know, we have fun. Uh, dealing with the language and the learning process with all of that good stuff. So let me just say this and then I'll be quiet because I have other people on the, on the um, panel with me. Um, so also with, with this series of show of, of uh, shows, um, I'm going to be sharing the link so people could come on the panel and, you know, chime in on the conversation because it's, it's definitely um, a good thing. It's been a, a a lot of benefits come out of interaction and conversation and we, and we keep it professional. We keep it a certain way where I don't even have to explain it 
because I'm going to tell you, if anybody comes and brings noise or just some 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 stuff that we just don't do and we're not about, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb so bad that I don't you know, we don't have to even say anything. All right. But I just want to kind of lay that out so that everybody will understand, you know, what we do on these series of shows. OK, so we have three distinct series of shows that could pop up anytime. Uh, really, what well, we call them divine word, I mean, uh, Freestyle Friday. So obviously expected on Fridays, but we kind of do a mixture of, of different things. All right. So I'm just basically outlining that. And but tonight I didn't have anything specifically um, prepared to go in on in terms of misinformation like we would normally do on such a show. OK, so I'm, I'm basically taking time to just explain the concept and to show it itself. So what I want to do is open the floor up for a topic to come up under the umbrella of this of this show. OK, so I'm going to post a link in the chat and I got people on the panel already. So I'm going to be quiet and pass the mic so you, you can introduce yourself and, you know, start a topic. It's totally up to you. Hotep, my name is Tamika. Hotep, Ren E. Imiket, and yeah, welcome. What's up, family? This is Brother Chris. All right, Chris must have a different microphone because I didn't hear that. Uh, welcome to KMT Radio. Uh, tonight all right so i'm gonna post the link wow and i copied the wrong link uh give me one second here so yeah like i said so you know you're all on the panel you you you, you could bring up so i you know i explained the scope of this type this series of shows so we keep it bring up anything within the scope and we can have at it I think I probably cut somebody else. Somebody's going to say something. All right. So I posted the link, the um, panel link. So if you want to come in on the panel and you want to share some information or information you may have heard that you don't know if it's misinformation or accurate or whatever, bring it up because we want to hear it. And if we have an answer, we have, if we have an answer for it or we can address it. We will, if we can't, then we'll, you know, look into it. So that's the link. All right, that's the link, that's the link. So since nobody's talking, I'm going to bring up something that's uh, a little general, oh, but I'm going to kick it off. I had one or two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> oh, yeah, if somebody else does, go ahead. Nope, I'm good. I'm listening. Okay. All right. So I want to talk about something about uh, civilizations. Okay. So a lot of times in, in this um, conscious community, we hear about there's always a battle between um, priority of civilizations, which one comes before the other, which one's first, and so on and so forth, as if 
time makes one better than the other. And so let's just, just dispel that all together. Just because something comes before something else does not equate to it being better. Okay? So I hope everybody has that understanding. Because that's the implications or that's what's, what's implied in a lot of arguments that I see when it comes to civilization, which one is first. I mean, that's actually an argument that people make or, or bring up as if it matters. You know, so I just want to make sure that that's understood, that just because something is first or before something else, if you have two things and one is before the other, that does not make the one that came before the other one better than the other one. So that shouldn't even be a, you know, part of arguments. We should be able to appreciate a population of people, their civilization, or whatever for what it is. Because, like, for example, uh, so Mika, you're, I'm not going to ask you your age, but obviously you were born at some point. And so you cannot help the moment that you're born. And so everybody that came before you or born before you, by the fact that they're born before you does not make them better than you. And so, and so that's so common that nobody would even argue that. But when it comes to civilizations, for some reason, it's always an argument about which one came first, as if that's um, a litmus test for which one's better. So that's just pure noise that people make, and it's wasted time and energy. So just like, and I'm using you, Mika, as, a, as an example, if I get to know you, then I can appreciate you for you, regardless of, of when you were born or who came first, your parents and then, then their parents, which would be your grandparents. So if I get to know you, I, get, I can know and appreciate you, the scope of you for you. And so why can't we do that for every civilization? Just get to know the civilization for what it is and what it has to offer and what we could learn from and possibly what we could take from it as a resource and use it for today. That right there is the move to make, not to argue about which one comes first or second. Okay, so that's my starting off point, number one. And I, wanna, I want that to be very clear because none of that stuff matters, all right? So number two, because one and two kind of go together. And then if y'all want to comment or you have something else, then go for it. But I'm going to make a number two point, which uh, goes with number one. Number two, civilizations do not pop up out the clear blue sky. They do not pop up like somebody flicked a light switch. Okay, civilizations only seem like they have a birth, a definitive birth, and, and, and by a definitive birth, like you pop up, like a, if a baby's born, then we have a moment in time when that birth occurred. 
And so civilizations appear to do the same thing only because of how we label them. So a civilization, to, for a civilization to be identified as a civilization prior to us, you know, creating that defined identity for it, it had to be gestated. It had to go through a process of gestation. So every civilization was, was born from the people that gestated it to bring it about in the first place. So obviously the civilization, whatever name, let's, let's just say civilization X. Civilization X was born out of people that existed prior to civilization X for obvious reasons. Because civilizations do not pop up out the sky and just fall on, on the earth. They're, they go through gestation. They're, they're, they're born through a slow process. They're not just snap, crackle, pop. So to argue even that, and that, that ties, that's why I said it ties into my first point about what comes first, as if that's an argument. Now, now if, if we're just cataloging chronology, then yes, you want to say, okay, this happened before this, and that happened before that, and that happened before this, and we have four things, and we could put them in order, chronological order. That's fine. You're logging it, and you're... And you're documenting chronology but then to go and argue something is better than the other because of that that is silly and makes absolutely no sense and there's a bunch of noise all right so those are my first first two points i want to raise for the discussion because nobody else is talking so i'm bringing that up and if anybody, anybody got a comment on those two things or or bring 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 you bring something to the table that we could talk about Um, so the floor is open. Yeah. So um, from what I get, that kind of works like evolution, I guess. It's like there's, you know, it's not like where there's a point where something is not something and then it becomes something, but it's a process of, you know, changes, change, you know, undergoing change and all that kind of stuff. But I wanted to bring up um, another thing that I think maybe uh, it would be good um, to discuss is how we produce sources. Because sometimes you hear people talk about things like, um, like somebody wants to validate a point. Um, and then instead of actually um, analyzing that point itself, um, scholarly, they'll probably say something like, so-and-so says this, so so-and-so agrees with me. And that they use that to make something valid. Like, so my point is valid and they don't even demonstrate. Just because so-and-so says that means that, you know, I'm right and they are right, you know, because I agree with them. Okay, yeah. So what you described is basically the a logical fallacy called um, appeal to authority. Just because somebody says something, they must be right. Somebody who's who's seen as an as an authority on a particular subject, just because they say it and they are an authority, they must be right. That is a classic um, logical fallacy called appeal to authority. And so we did a show about appealing to authority versus deferring to authority, which is not a logical fallacy. We all, we, you know, we all have to at some point defer to experts or people who are authorities on certain matters. We do it all the time. 
and that's deferring to them. But where the logical fallacy comes into play is if you make an argument and your argument must be right because somebody in authority said so or says what you say or supports your claim. That's the logical fallacy because it doesn't matter who you are, what you are, what education you've had or um, are getting. None of that automatically by default makes you all wise, right and exact. Everybody can make a mistake and everybody can possibly be wrong. And so the fact that you say something in and of itself will never um, make it true just based on the fact that you said it. And every scientist and every scholar knows and understands this. This is why we avoid logical fallacies, especially that one. Appealing to authority doesn't matter. Don't care who said it. Demonstrate it. Demonstrate the truthfulness or support of your claim or don't make the claim. Or if you make the claim, just understand that your claim is based on nothing. It's a baseless claim. And that's fine. As long as that's, you know, as long as it's transparent, just just say so. All right. So that's 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 what that's that's about. And you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. Because it, it doesn't advance knowledge. Listen, um, violating logical fallacies is detrimental to the learning process and the building of knowledge. That's why that's why they're there. That's why they're logical fallacies and they're they are to be avoided at all costs. And me, I come from a background of a trained debater. I was on a debating team in college and in high school. And we had to learn and memorize all of the logical fallacies. And we and so much so that we had to learn to identify them when others would violate it. And then we also had to um, practice, uh, learn to violate them. So we learn both ends of the stick so that we so that we fully understand them and, and why and how to avoid them and how to spot them when they occur and then how to avoid them and deal with them when people violate them. That's part of debating. So anybody who who has any training in debating will will have to go through that. So, you know, I'm not the only one, obviously, but um, this that's what we've learned. Can can you give an ex- I'm sorry. But, can you can you give an example of that? Okay. Okay. So, for example, well, I'll give you an example. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. This is an example of violating, um, appealing to authority. So, the ancient Egyptians are black and they named their country after their black skin, calling it Kemet meaning the land of the black people because Shekhan the Diop says so. That's a logical fallacy. I'm making a claim and my claim is right because Shekhan the Diop says so. I'll give you another one. Straw man logical fallacy. That's, that's, that's probably the most popular. I know it used to, we used to, we used to rate them. And I think the straw man logical fallacy is probably the most violated logical fallacy. But it was running neck and neck with appealing to authority too, 
and and uh, it was three of them, and I forget what the third one was. But anyway, an example of a straw man logical fallacy is, well, to explain what it is, a straw man logical fallacy is when someone argues, someone takes your claim and they misconstrue it. And then they argue against the misconstrued version of your claim and not your actual claim. And they do it to appear to, to be superior and win over your claim, to, to refute your claim. But they really didn't. They re, they're trying to refute a misconstrued version of your claim. Okay? So that's what a straw man is. So a straw man, um, logical fallacy, you know, has a history of why it's called straw man and all that other kind of stuff that you all can look up. I'm not going to go into. But that's a classic uh, or, you know, to define what a straw man logical fallacy is. And that happens a lot. So people will take your claim and misunderstand it or purposely misconstrue it. In any case, they'll argue against their own misunderstanding of what you're claiming or they purposely misconstrue it. And then they argue against that. And that's a straw man logical fallacy. And that happens a lot. Now, we, we, we can give real examples because there's plenty online. You, you can actually look up, log, you could type up right now logical fallacies, and there's websites de dedicated <laughs> to, to logical fallacies and, and identifying them and giving you examples of them and so on and so forth. There's a lot of websites that are dedicated to that. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's good name. I was got one question about uh the fallacies do you think that uh special pleading is kind of similar to what they're doing as as so far as um straw man fallacies do you think that's kind of similar yeah i mean um there there are a little bit of overlapping with the with the logical fallacies because a lot of times when people violate one they violate more than one simultaneously, you know, and there's certain ones that are violated in, in groups instead of just by itself, you know? And okay. so, so that's that. So, you know, if that's what you're saying, then, then yeah, that happens, you know, that definitely happens. But like I said, logical fallacies themselves, like if, if anybody looks it up, you, you, you'll find, you know, you'll find them, all the names of them, um, examples and so on and so forth. So, you know, I don't I don't want to um, like just reiterate something that that people could actually just find very, very easily, you know. But uh, but my my point is, um, well, I was just saying that's what Emiket was descri describing appealing to authority. And I'm, again, I'm going to reiterate, that's different than deferring to authority. We all do that. And there's no problem with that. Because that's, that's, that's revealed, that's, that's transparent. That is, um, you know, you're, you're citing and you're deferring to authorities. But when you when you're arguing and you and you're saying your argument is correct or your claim is is true because so and so said it, that's that's a logical fallacy. Doesn't matter, because that person could be wrong just like you. Both of y'all could be wrong. It's two left feet, and just because somebody said it doesn't make it so. 
you know? And so that's that. I mean, anything else? Because, you know, right, like what, I said. What's up? What's up with that? Hey, Hotep. All right. What's going on? Right. I got a... Um, all right, because I, look, I looked at the... Um, I was just looking at a debate. Um, and I know... Um, I think Sinjetti's a, a, a comedic priest, right? Okay. And and also Jabari. So I'm thinking like the 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 um in Egypt, right? They they believed in the afterlife, right? Um yeah. But yeah. okay, yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm gonna walk with you, yeah. No, I, I mean I'm 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 like I'm just trying, I'm asking for clarity. I'm not trying to you know. so okay, yeah. So so and did they believe in, in a sense of a um like like let me like, what was the it, overall understanding of like okay when you die then what, like what was the overall understanding or let I me mean, at least you know I mean, to your knowledge like when you die okay okay that's why that, that's why I said yeah the way I said yeah because the afterlife the afterlife has taken a life all on its own the way that people talk about it but you believe in an afterlife in the same way the Egyptians believe in the afterlife and I'm gonna tell you I know that for a fact because it it all deals with memory so the afterlife the only way that a person can live after they die is in the minds of the living and so the egyptians understood that to live after death the people who are still alive after you die have to remember you to continue your life after death but we just say afterlife the afterlife. So that's that's really I mean, and I'm and I'm and I'm and I'm just shooting it straight without without a bunch of explanation. But that's what it is. The afterlife is simply um, the remembrance of you. So when when we get old and we pass away, we will have an afterlife as long as there's somebody living remembers us. And the only way on the only place we'll exist is not physical. We're not going to walk out the, the tomb or the grave or nothing like that. The Egyptians never believed that either. The only way, the only place we'll live after we die is in the mind or minds of people who are living. The moment that nobody who's living remembers you, then you cease to exist, period. Because nobody, nobody's going to remember you. You're not, you're not, you're not a thing. Yeah, like Martin Luther King, in other words. Yeah, like Martin Luther King is is Martin Luther King is is alive in our minds, yeah, and so yeah, and so and so now let, let me let me just clear, let me just expound on that. Just give me two minutes. Ahead, so man. here's the thing: the afterlife is never predicated upon good and evil or morals, because you can do something very very detrimental, like Hitler. Hitler is seen as a as a bad person. But guess what? Hitler has a very strong afterlife because people remember him and he's in the history books. So afterlife has nothing to do with morals or none of that stuff. Your morals and everything has to do with everything while you're alive. It has nothing to do with death. And that's something that people need to come to understand and change their way of thinking. This the Egyptians understanding. That whole judgment scene that people misinterpret and all the afterlife stuff, the duat is translated as the underworld. That's simply 
um, behind the consciousness, which, which is the subconscious. You exist in the subconscious of others after you die, if they remember you, because everything takes place in, in what they call the id, which is the mind. That's it. That's the afterlife. So like another word, like with the um, Akhenaten situation, they was trying to basically end his life by destroying his things and trying to take him out of cultural memory. Exactly. Bingo. You hit okay. it. And that's and and that's why, and this is funny or interesting, because people assume that the that the Egyptian statues, the noses and things like that were broken off by by later people periods and, and white people who want to hide the African features of, of, of these things when the Egyptians themselves deface some of those things and erase people's names off of the walls and things like that to remove them, like you said, out of cultural memory. So eventually they would not be remembered. Therefore, they would not have an afterlife. Okay. For, 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 whatever, for whatever reason. Now, 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 listen, what I'm saying, I'm, I'm being very summary and, and direct, but, but everything I'm saying, I can explain it in a long version and back up everything I'm saying. So I'm just putting it out there for people who are listening. Okay, but so, so in a judgment scene, when they're weighing everything, it's, it's not necessarily about what you've done in, the li- in, in, that, in that life that determines, like, what, like basically give me the explanation of the scene and like, why, I mean, why, why, why the judgment scene, what are they, um, what are they looking to um, justify? Like, oh, you know what I mean? To say, I lived a good life and, and I can show it here and then this rewards me as such. Like, what would be the reward in other words? Okay, so um, all right, give me one second to pull it up while I while I say while I address what you're asking, because I want right. to show this while I'm saying it, and I should have it. I use it so much. All right, here we go, right here. All right, so I'm going to share my screen, <clears throat> and I'm gonna lock it on me so so people can see um, what you all are seeing. Give me a second. All right, so spotlight. Okay, so this is the judgment scene. So specifically, this is from the um, Ra'u Niyu Peret Em Heru, which is commonly called the Book of the Dead. This particular one is from the um, Book of Hunefer. The more popular one is the Book of the Dead of Ani, but this is probably number two in popularity. All right. I like this one better because it's, um, it's, it's, it's in better quality. Like, you know, if you actually see that, this is actually a nice facsimile of it if you've seen it because i have really big quality pictures of, of this one but anyway um so let me get my cursor back over here so this is a judgment scene that every, a lot of people are familiar with where you have the scales and the weighing of the so-called weighing of the heart okay so first let me just explain a couple of the icons here the heart where you see this red arrow this heart here is not a literal heart human heart all right the heart is not being weighed. The literal heart, the organ, is not being weighed um, against a feather. Because we all know that, that a heart will always weigh more than a bird's feather. The fact that the heart is lighter than this feather should tell you, should trigger in everybody's mind that this is not literal. All right? It's not a literal um, conveyance of, of anything. The, the heart represents the word Ib, 
because the word for heart is the word ib in the language. And ib is the mind. It means the mind. And it comes from the root meaning of the essential part of something, the essence of something. And the Egyptians looked at the essence of the human being as being the mind because everything takes place in the playground of the mind. All of our five senses, what we sense in the external world is transmitted to the inner world called the mind. All right. So all of our experiences or what we call ex experiences are really um, executed in the mind. All right. I mean, this is something that psychologists and everybody, you know, talks about today. So it's nothing new um, or nothing, you know, odd. But so, so what's being weighed is the mind. The content of the mind is being weighed. This figure here with his blue arrow is this monster is an amalgamated animal of a crocodile, a lion, and a hippopotamus. So we, so that's another clue that this is not a literal expression. This is definitely not literal because uh, there's no such thing as a crocodile, half crocodile, half, you know, quarter lion and quarter hippo, hippopotamus animal ever in existence. What this animal represents, the name of this animal is Amit or Amamit. And it comes from a word that means to eat, to devour, like to eat up. And what this animal re represents, the reality behind this, this figurative expression of this animal is really guilt. As simple as that, guilt. And so much so that, that we use this, this semantics today. When we, when we do something we know we shouldn't be doing in our minds, we feel guilty and we say, man, that's eating me up. We use the word eat as an act of eating the mind or eating our conscious. And we say, oh, man, that's, that's, that, that's been eating me up for a while, man. I got I to gotta come clean, man. I got I to gotta tell them the truth. You know, we say stuff like that today. So this animal represents guilt. And so the only way you're going to feel guilty is by judging yourself. So this entire judgment scene is, the, is you um, judging yourself or this particular person right here judging themselves. You are your own ultimate judge. Nobody else is going to judge you but you. Why? Because nobody can judge you but you, because you are the only one that knows the content of your own mind. I don't care how telepathic people think they are or, or, or crystal ballish they could get or crystal using crystals and all that other kind of stuff. Nobody's ever going to be able to know what's in your mind, but you. And so you are the only rightful person that can judge yourself accurately. And so the, the declarations of innocence are a procedural thing while you're alive on a daily basis to fact check or to, to keep your, your behavior and words in check. And so you judge yourself. That's the weighing of the content of your mind. And so you punish yourself or you reward yourself based on the degree of guilt you feel or, or not feel and so on and so forth. So that's why I said the moral aspect of all this stuff is for the living Nobody who is dead is going to be reading a book, pronouncing any words, or doing any of that stuff. They're dead. So for them to call it the book of the dead, 
there's actually nothing wrong with that because it's a book found where you know with dead people so we understand why they called it the book of the dead but to interpret that as as if the book is for the dead person as if they're going to use it while they're dead that's insane and so you know that's just a brief thing i'm just saying so if you're asking me what's going on here what's going on here is that this person is judging themselves all these different deities are are actually aspects different aspects of of the person and 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 if i put put my arrow here you're going to see the person's name here so for example this is rani ib ni usir sesh nesut hu nefer makhiru that's what this whole column says and what it's what it's translate to is that this is the um utterances ra the utterances of Ib, the heart or the mind, Ni of the Osiris. So this person who never right here, um, being guided by the canine deity Enpu, is who never, who never's mind, or he's being called an Osiris or Usir, and he's a royal scribe, which is Seshnesut, royal scribe, and then his name, who never, and then Makeru, which means he is triumphant or, he, or he's justified. And so this is his, his mind that is going to testify. And so it backs up what I'm saying, that it's the mind that's testifying um, whatever, you know, all these different things. And then different parts of the body are also placed in the same situation where it will come forth and testify. Why? Because, because it's part of you. Like these different things, like, like where what your hands have ever touched or where they've ever been is going to tell on you. All your thoughts are going to tell on you. Wherever your feet have been, wherever you walked, wherever you've been, if you've been somewhere where you had no business being, your feet are going to snitch. <laughs> They're going to snitch on you because your feet knows you. It's part of you. So, you know, just, just in a nutshell, you're judging yourself. And all these different deities and things are aspects of you um, and, and uh, you know, and other things. I'm just being brief. And so what I want to point out, though, is that the deceased person is called Usir. And if I move this thing over, you see, ultimately, you as Usir is being led to Usir. So we have Usir being led to Usir. The ultimate judge, which is you. And then if, if if it's not what the punishment <laughs> be, what would the punishment be? Say say it again. What would the punishment be if 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 it wasn't, you know what I'm saying? If it wasn't, if you didn't get the just a just reading, you know what I'm saying? If it was um okay, negative. right. It's 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 no different than than what happens to everybody living today. That that this animal, which is the reality, which is a figurative way of, of pointing uh, referring to guilt it will eat you up Crocodile. Crocodile. That, that that guilt will eat you up and this happens this happens people people feel so guilty some people commit suicide because they feel guilty some people will be stressed out and get ill and get sick because they feel guilty for 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 doing this that and a third so guilt is the punishment for doing something you know that um you shouldn't have done 
And so the what should and should not have been done in things is is coming from the culture. And this is where you get the feather representing the standard or this this straight and narrow path or what we call truth and and you know all the things that people define as ma'at. So like so for so for example, I'm gonna give you an example. Um in Ch- Chinese culture is a lot different than American culture. Um in 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 many aspects, right? And so if a Chinese baby was born, you know, born in China, raised in China, in the Chinese culture, and all of that stuff is, is drilled into them, burnt into their, their being, they have different, they have a different moral um, rod than, than somebody born and raised in America. So there are Chinese laws, outward policies, public laws, and things like that, that are connected to the cultural more moral right and america's is different so nobody from america would feel the same way or feel the same guilt as somebody in china in china so the 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 weighing or this or this 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 um comparison is always rooted in the culture and and we understand this today and this is why we have what's called diplomatic relationships with other countries because one country's laws and morals may be different than the other countries, but we have to get along. So there's an understanding. So I can do something fully legal in America that's legal in America, but if I do it in China, I'll get thrown in jail. Or I, I, you know, I could get sentenced to death or killed or thrown in jail or whatever. But over in America, it's perfectly fine. And so I'm saying that to say that that this aspect is always anchored into the cultural cultural moral so we can't we can't cross like here in the united states we can't transmit georgia laws up there in new york because every state has its own um, sovereignty in terms of its laws just because a law is a law in georgia doesn't mean it is applicable or or has jurisdictional power over in new york so the same thing happens here so, you know, to answer your question, though, if you say, you know, you ask me, what is the punishment? The punishment is rooted in the cultural standards of what to do and what not to do. And you only you would know that because you're part and parcel of that culture. Somebody from China seeing this and dealing with that, they, they wouldn't they could care less. Or, from you know, from a different culture or whatever. And care less. That's why it's important. For, that's why only you could judge it, judge yourself. <laughs> Imagine, Uja. Yeah. yeah, hold up. Oh, let me let me take let me take um this thing off of my screen. Bring it back to everybody. Yeah, but go ahead. So, hey man. So I'm glad I was right, man. Them damn Egyptians was atheists after all, man. Appreciate that, Woo. <laughs> Wait, you about show. to? Wait, you about it's to? It's a good show, man. A whole nother it's a great show right there, yo. Like, I, I'm feeling you. I'm feeling this show, yo. It's good to see that they had actually conquered they, they believe in brain. Because that's all we do. We conquer out. Like, we don't believe we're going to heaven. But most people, you know, first of all, humans can't even see their own death. That's first of all. We don't believe you're going to die. Right? And, and that's why religions are so, so proper, because they give you a chance to continue to live in the afterlife. We're going to live forever on the right hand. Bah, 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 bah. 
But those who get to the point to realize, oh, this is a natural thing and that's it, man, they call us atheists, man. Dr. Ben and them, you know what I'm saying? John Jackson, you know, pseudo killers. Like, but I've been saying it for years, the atheists, the dead, the dead, just didn't believe. And I had a lot of flack. You just explained it eloquently, yo. Thanks a lot there, Wooja. I just like to say, appreciate that, bro. See, my, my th- here's, here's the thing, though. I mean, we, we, we could double back on the atheist uh, <laughs> as well. But wait a minute. Let me say this, though. Ooh. I just want to re- reiterate what I said, that the afterlife is in the memory of the living. The, the, the moment that a dead person, no matter who they are, the moment that a dead person is no longer remembered by anybody who's alive on the planet, then that dead person ceased to exist totally. The only way a dead person can survive after death, after dying, is in the memory of the living. And that is the afterlife. And the Egyptians understood this because they did not see the human being as this one homogeneous thing. The Egyptians broke up the human being into a composite of, of, of entities. The kat is the physical body. The kaibit is its shadow. The ka, the ren, the sahu, the ib, the sekum, the ak, and the ba. And so these different elements that make up the human being had different functions. They never, ever thought that a dead person is going to walk up out the grave or come back to life physically that was never in the belief and matter of fact they 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 have empirical um disbelief in that why because egypt lasted so long like for example ramses ii is what dynasty can anybody tell me what dynasty is ramses ii 19 right ramses is the 19th dynasty right from from ramses all the way backwards one of his ancient, ancient, uh, uh, you know, admire, admired kings would be Khufu. Ramses and the people in Ramses' time never, ever thought Khufu or any of those fifth dynasty uh, kings were going to walk up out the graves. Nobody was looking for them to walk up out the graves. And so from Ramses back to Khufu, that time distance is from Ramses to the, to the end of Kemet, Kemet's, um, you know, fall. Nobody's expect anybody to walk up out of those graves ever. But not so much as walking out of the grave. Uh, where's the misconception come from as far as like, you know, existing on a, like a spiritual plane, like in Christianity, you know, I mean, to give an example. Right. Well, no, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's in the memory where, where, where a dead person lives is in the memory of the living. And yeah, I, yeah, I got that saying. Like, I got that saying, but there was so there was never because some people was taking that as a existence in a spiritual plane. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I understand, but, but they, they don't understand. They don't. First of all, anybody that believes that they had, they had, they, their wires are crossed on the way in which ancient civilizations recorded information, because. What we call figurative expressions today is, is slept on. People don't take time to understand it. So they take things literally or they cherry pick. None of that stuff is literal. It's a, it's, but, but, it's, but it's a style, it's a necessary style that ancient people had in order to record data. Because you, you have to understand that today when, when we, when we um, 
learn something new and we want to remember it, we write it down or we type it on a computer, save it, and so on and so forth. We have writing. Writing is only 5,000 years old. Prior to that, so listen. So, Unc, oh, I can't even see y'all. Wait a minute. Let me, so, Unc is still here. So, Unc, let me ask you a question. How old? Give me the estimated date for the emergence of Homo sapiens sapiens. Uh, 350,000 years in Morocco, 250,000 years in South Africa, and 190,000 years in the Omo Valley, Ethiopia. Okay, so let's just take the between, let's say 200,000, right? So, uh -huh. so writing did not start until approximately 5,000 years ago. So we got 200,000 years ago, all the way up to 500,000 years ago. Here's the question. How, how did the human beings that live, how did they um, learn and store information to be able to pass it on to the next generation to, to prevent the next generation from starting from scratch every time a new generation popped up, you know, stuff like that. So, so to prevent them from having to learn stuff all over again, each and each and each generation, they had to be able to transmit knowledge from one generation to the to the younger one from the older to the young younger ones and what i'm saying is that that they had to invent a technology to do that but today we call it figurative expressions but back then it was a necessary survival technique that they had to do to transmit information because think about this who was the first person to eat a strawberry i mean i'm i'm just i'm just just uh giving an example um, whoever that person was, they had to eat it and they survived. And then everybody after them know that, okay, that's okay to eat, but they don't want everybody experimenting every, every time they stumble across a strawberry. So they had to transmit that knowledge to prevent the people coming behind them from, from, from wondering about strawberries. Is it safe? Is it not safe? Is it, you know, what can I eat this? Can I not eat that? So they had to transmit data that's collected and accumulate it and pass it on and on and on and on. And how did they do this? They did it by way of what today we call figurative expressions because they had no writing. They had no record, recording techniques except for in the language itself. So they had to play on words. They had to, they had to invent techniques to do this. And so people that talk about the spooky spiritual plane, all this other kind of stuff, they don't understand the realities of how these people recorded their information, recorded their science, which is their knowledge. They don't know how, to, how, how it was done or what it's referring to. And people don't want to take the time out to put in the work to figure it out. So people just going on a pseudo trip and just talk about the Egyptians believed in, you know, the afterlife and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm going to ask you all a question. I'm, I'm going to be quiet because I know I'm hogging the mic because I want, I want everybody to get um, uh, something to say. But let me, while I have this picture up on my screen, right, here, here's what I, here's a funny thing that I experience all the time. I will ask a person, random, random person, I will ask them, I say, listen, do you believe the ancient Egyptians believed that there were human beings with animal heads that literally walked around? And most people I've asked that question to, they will say, no, they don't believe the Egyptians literally believed that. And so, that lays a foundation. So I'm saying, okay, cool. But then when I asked them about the afterlife and what the Egyptians wrote or described about it, 
I'm saying, do you believe the Egyptians believe that literally? And all of a sudden, they'll flip the switch and say, yeah, they believe that literally. But yet you're saying they don't believe that humans had animal heads, but you're going you're gonna to say they believe in how they describe or, or um, you know, how they describe and demonstrate the afterlife. So which is it? So there's a conflict of logic. There's an inconsistent logic going on. And that's a sickness in the conscious community that people don't take the time out to reconcile. And that's what I asked on the previous show. Nobody can answer it. And everybody I ever talked to, they can't deal with that. They cannot reconcile that. Either either you got to believe. Can't answer what? Can't answer what? They can't answer the fact that on one hand, they don't believe the Egyptians believe that for example, this 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 person right here, uh, Enpu, they don't believe the Egyptians literally believe that there was a human being with a with a dog head, with a canine head. They don't believe the Egyptians believe that. But when the Egyptians describe or even illustrate the afterlife and you ask them the same question, do you think the Egyptians literally believe that or take that to be literal? Most a lot of people will say yes to that, but no to Enpu. And I'm saying that's inconsistent logic because see that, the, see that monster right there at the yeah. scale. Yeah. So you, you you know people believed in dragons though, right? Literally. Maybe. And humans believed in monsters too. Matter of fact, uh, I think Europeans in America, they, they, they was like the first society that didn't actually believe in monsters. So through the whole history of Homo sapiens sapiens, they believed in monsters and they go back from the Stone Age. So, you know, psychologically speaking, that's why I say, man, it's good to hear that these Egyptians had conquered that. Because literally speaking, right, humans are designed to really believe and it comes from our primordial stages of development as Homo sapiens sapiens. We're hardwired to believe. We're not hardwired to believe in religion. Religion actually hijacks it. Okay, so you know what I mean when when we when we talk about atheism, we just simply talking about those who reached the stage <laughs> that the Egyptians reached. It's just okay, that simple. Me, all right, so yeah, just that simple. you, you right, get so, my uh, point though, right? Yeah, you yeah, yeah. I'm, that's all I'm saying. That, but but see, we make this a bad thing. But just showing that wait a minute, that's not a bad thing. And it, I never thought it was. Doctor Ben never thought it was. But I mean, that's an elegant way to say that they they, they was actually. Uh, actually controlling those portions of their mind. I, I just wanted to kind of put that in there. That's all. Yeah, and, 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 but but it's not the way people people think that they believe. So I'm gonna ask you a question. So you, you, you can see you can see you can see the screen, right? I see that monster okay. right there. Right. Monster. Okay. The the monster that this blue arrow is pointing to. I'm gonna ask you the question. Mm-hmm. Do you, Unc West, mm-hmm. Uncle Cat? The God killer. <laughs> do, do, do you believe that the Egyptians believe that this animal was a literal animal? Not, not, no, not the way you saying it, but, but, but human beings would literally believe that that was a monster. Okay. But wait a minute. Absolutely. I, I don't, positively. Absolutely. Okay. But well, wait, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to ask or discuss all of humans ever. I'm talking about these Egyptians right here. All right. I'm saying, the Egyptian people, do you do you believe that the Egyptian people that's responsible for illustrating this animal, do you believe that they thought that animal was, was a literal animal that walked around in Egypt somewhere? No, they was atheists. They didn't believe that. 
Okay. And so that's my point. Now, check this out. Because they didn't being facetious, though, but it, you know, they mind was they, they they conquered that. That's a conquering thing we do around here, not believing in God, not believing in uh spookism. That's a conquering type of thing that you have to have control and understand the way your mind works. So it's a stage okay. of elevation. But go ahead. Okay, so now here here's the quick point with this. Since since the Egyptians did not believe that this animal was a literal a uh, tangible animal animal that ran around you know in Egypt somewhere then why is it that people will take the the scene itself and the text that describe what they describe as being literal and so that 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 presents a problem and that's what that's one of the points i'm making is that people don't understand what it is that they're that they're looking at or reading but yet they have so much to say about it yeah, I agree with you, bro. But 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 when you ask the question, like I asked you, mm-hmm. when when um when when um when I asked you the question, I asked you, uh-huh. a lot of other people will agree with what you just said. They say, "Oh, I, well, I don't think the Egyptians literally believe that." But when it comes to the the concepts of the afterlife and and the underworld and all this other kind of stuff, mm-hmm. they'll think that the Egyptians are are being literal when they're not. And that's the problem, you know, and that's a that's a huge that's a big problem. So anyway, I just wanted to uh, say that. So so Sosa, I don't know. If, I don't even know Sosa still here. Yeah, yeah. I'm listening. I'm listening. I just want to you know, I ain't want to talk. I want to you know, somebody else want to ask a question. I'm going to let them go. Uh, you know oh, what OK, I mean? so but, but I'm saying I, I don't even know if I double back to um to address what you were asking. I, you know, you you I think you asked me what was the punishment. But before you asked about. um basically what's going on in the in this scene and i'm being quick but like i said everything i'm saying i can show support for what i'm saying from the egyptians themselves i can show you um offering formulas where the where the egyptians are writing to tell people who walk past their tomb to remember their name and say their name so they can have an afterlife it can't get any better than that that's a good point. Hey, Ruja, you know, you know, you'll also have Christians say that well, they didn't believe that Moses split the Red Sea. You know, you'll have those those that say that too. You'll get a whole uh delegation of people that don't take the Bible literal. And then you get a whole delegation of people to take the Bible literal. So yes. this is a question. So here's the question. Could it be possible that it was segmented just like that? Is that a possibility? Oh, not the, no, you get not- my point. Yeah, no, I get, I, yeah, I get your point, and you're absolutely right about about Christians. There, are Christians who take who cherry pick the Bible, like they'll they'll believe li- Jesus literally, um, you know, existed and did whatever. But but when it comes to other stories, they don't they don't take that stuff literally. Like they don't they don't literally take Jonah surviving in a in a big fish <laughs> and, and stuff like that. But they'll but they'll believe all the things that that are written about Jesus. But here's the thing. Uh, aside from the cherry picking stuff mm-hmm. in, in Egypt, remember the skill of scribing was, was a, was a, um, was a, you know, it was a, it was a skill that everybody didn't have. And so the scribal profession itself reflected the psychology and, and, and what was going on in the, in the kingdom at large, you know, just in general. And so the sentiment 
and representation of the kingdom is documented in the scribal profession. So even if it was split, this these texts that we we still have surviving today that we can actually see and, and read about and stuff like that are representative of the generalization, you know, reflection of the psychology of the people. So so that's not to say that there was some there wasn't no, you know, any pseudo people in Kemet or whatever the case is they they probably, you know, dude on the corner probably believed in a whole bunch of hocus pocus stuff. But but the but the thing here is that what's being conveyed here and, and in all these other different texts is not what people think. Mm. So, so it's not the priest. Did they add so the priest them so speak to speak about the uh the superstitions like did the 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 scribes the priests himself have uh certain superstitions that they held to yeah I mean su superstition I can answer that I can answer that <laughs> well let me they just believe say the older was better okay so 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 Uncle, you could pick up some but I'm gonna say ev like every pretty much every population of people had their superstition. Superstition is rooted in, in, in not knowing, in the ignorance. And so belief is also the starting point. That's why Unc said belief is part of the human default switch, like that we're born not knowing everything. And to believe something is, is just to give up or accept it, to accept something without knowing. And so belief implies the, the, the cease, the, the cutoff of pursuing knowledge. To believe something means that you're you're no longer pursuing to find out or to know. And so some cultures have a strong pursuit of knowledge, but other cultures or other groups of groups of people will have more of a give up um, type of disposition about themselves and they will live in beliefs. And that and that brings about superstition that lasts long, you know, over time, over time, over time. So everybody, every culture pretty much will have some superstition and things in there. Yeah, yeah, I was asking like a uh, like a, an example because I know there, there are things they had to like ward off spirits, right? So, like, do you have an example of like a superstition they had and like a remedy, uh, did a particular spell that they would use to 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 rectify it? Well, okay, let me give it. Okay, let me say this real quick, real, Wait, real fast. So, so this the interesting part. <laughs> you can go now all of a sudden you can go to Wikipedia and, and look up the word science and they'll tell you that the first England of science you find in Egypt and Mesopotamia. But then they show you the they don't show you the Mesopotamian source, but they'll show you the Egyptian source. Uh the Edwin Smith Medical Papyrus. And you'll see it right there. And, and all the textbooks will say this is the first time, you know, documented in human history that that they have. They don't, they're not using spells and stuff to doc, they got diagnosis using empirical data. And so for me, this is important. This is when they're actually using their mind to solve a problem without the help of spirits, superstitions, and any of that. So I can rock with you, Wu, because I see it in the beginning of science. Because this is how you do science. You got to get away from the deity. You got to get away from the superstitions. You got to get away from all beliefs. You got to use empirical data. So that that actually backs you up that they had the capacity to do it. Now, whether everybody that lived in the now did that, you can absolutely say that they was doing the same thing that we was doing today. Nope, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to handle this. I'm going to handle this. 
Simple as that. It's a fact. Yeah. And and to um, just add that, let me just say this about spirit. We, you know, our our lens, like we look at these other cultures through the and we have to just admit this and 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 swallow this, you know, humble pie and be humble about it. We look at these ancient populations and their behaviors and all this other kind of stuff. We look at it through the lens of what influenced us. And and the Abrahamic religions have done a, a big job on our on our view, worldview. Whether whether we actively believe in it now is irrelevant, but it influences our our views on these other populations. So the whole idea of spirit, the whole idea of God and stuff like that is going to come through the lens or filter of the Abrahamic traditions, whether we like it or not. That's what happens. So we have to keep that in check. And so I'm saying that to say that spirit itself is a a um, misconception by a lot of people. People will talk about spirit as if it's an entity um, and then, then they'll describe it as energy. And energy is never an entity. It is it is actually an attribute or quality of matter. It's a measurement. That's it. There's no such thing as a spirit entity. There's no such thing. And so when they talk about ancestors being spirits or entities, all that stuff is a misunderstanding um, and misconstru- misconstrue of what the realities were to the people back then. And that's just the bottom line. And I don't care if it's an African tradition or not. It's, it's not what people think it is. A spirit, spirit being energy is it needs matter to exist because sp- uh, energy is a quality or property of matter. Without matter, which is material, there is no energy. And if spirit is energy, then there is no spirit without matter. But when people talk about spirit, they say it's immaterial. They say it's immaterial. And that's the oxymoron. It can't exist. And Egyptians talk about it totally different. And I'm going to give you a quick example. Like y'all, y'all, y'all heard of the word ak or aket, right? Y'all pretty much heard that before? Okay. So the, the word, one of the words for ancestors, a couple of words for ancestors, but one of the words for ancestors is ak or aku. And the word ak um, has to deal with efficacy being effective right or affecting something or affecting something being an effect but affecting something so there's a place of efficacy there's a place where efficacy is is lives and it's called aket we translate that as the horizon they'll say uh har aketi heru aketi horus of the two horizons people mistranslated that it doesn't mean that and that's not what it is it's Heru of the horizon, one horizon. But they, they describe the horizon as a place of efficacy or that have effects because of what they observe from the sun. When the sun appears to, to um, rise, when it rises in the morning, the sky lights up before you physically see the sun, the actual um, circle of the sun, the physical sun you see the sky light up or glow prior to seeing the sun. And so the sun being unseen, but yet affecting what you can see became a concept 
of an unseen effective phenomenon, something that you can't see, but it has an effect. And so that's the idea of where, where you get the ancestral world or the belief that something that you can't see can actually affect the things that you can see. And most people describe that as wind, air, because we can't see air, but yet it has an effect on things that we can see. And if you look at the Latin coinage of the word spirit, spiritus, it meant wind. So every mm -hmm. time somebody's talking about a spirit, they're talking about something that cannot be seen, but has an effect on something or effect on something. That's where that whole concept comes from. And anything that affects another thing is energy. That's a property of matter because energy is the measurement of the ability to do work. And that's it. That's how they describe it. And that's how we just we understand it today. But that's not how it's described today by people who don't know, you know, left, right, up or down or what they're talking about when it comes to this stuff. So they spook it out and think that there's some entities called spirits that are going to do this, that and a third to the point where they leave food for these entities to eat as if they're really going to eat the food and stuff. And that's not happening. All right, but look, this this okay, this is what I'm asking. When we look at um you know, societies, you know, and and, and you know, in antiquity, let's say globally, um yeah. we see uh when a catastrophe may hit, be it a plague or famine, uh certain cultures would look at that as them being punished by the gods. And then they would act in a way to uh, appease the gods in a sense to get favor, right? Do we see that with Egyptian culture? Um, yes, and I could tell you where, where they would see that. So in, in the Egyptian culture, you know they had, they had some, some top-notch um, medical physicians. Um, but yet, while Egypt had a very uh, robust medical um, system or whatever the case is in medical knowledge, there was a whole lot of things that they still did not know and could not know. So they never saw a pathogen before. They never, they never saw the causal agents of illnesses, but yet they knew they existed, but they could not observe them. So they spoke about them like how I said earlier as things that cannot be seen and cannot be observed, but yet have an effect on that which can be seen and can be observed. And so they had to, rec they had to deal with that. And so, and so what some people will call superstition is their way of dealing with those things that they could not observe, but they're real. We know pathogens ex exist today, just like they did back then, except with us, we have empirical data and observations and, and things that we can, you know, discuss and show and stuff like that. They did not. But yet it existed. And, and they used deduct inferences and stuff like that to, to know that they exist, but they could not go too far with that. But they had to deal with it. And so they had so in the medical profession, they had things that they did and they had what's called utterances. But people like to translate as, as spells to make it spooked out like magic and take your mind towards magic, but it's really utterances and certain things that they did and said 
that dealt with the things that they could not observe and stuff, but they knew existed. And so that's so some some of some of that is being translated. So some of that being interpreted as being superstitious or like, you know, um, when a nat like you said, a natural disaster or catastrophe happened, um, that's the causal agent is unknown, but yet it exists because they see the outcome of it or the consequence of it, not the cause, but the but the um effect of it. And so that's interpreted as superstition. Yeah, I'm saying, but I'm asking like, did they interpret it as a a sign that they weren't acting in accordance because of the phenomenon. So I'm saying like it's it's we did the reason we're going through this famine or the reason this plague is happening because we did something wrong or we're not, you know what I'm saying we're not we're not being you know like the Christian would be like we're not following the law and it's a punishment by God. You know what I'm saying? Is it did they view it like that? That's what I kind of what I'm asking. Um, I mean, in general, some of them uh, did. I mean, we, we, we can never say no, because bona fide superstition existed pretty much in every population of people. But as a general thrive, thriving component of the culture itself, then we have, you know, we have to um, examine it and can't make these, you know, the same statements. So it'd be better, like if you give me a, a, a specific example. Because I because what you're asking me is did they feel that they were being punished by like if, if a volcano erupted, did the people think that that they're being punished? Like they did they caused the eruption. Yeah, like in times of plague or something, did they see the well, well, we we look at that as a, a something a negative effect by the gods. So now we set up a, a we may we may sacrifice 20 goats or, or something. You know what I'm saying? We may feel like, you know what I'm saying? Like something of that nature, uh, an act, a, a kind of spiritual act to, to, to bring about resolution in a sense, feeling like, okay, this would appease, this would appease the gods and, and give us and, and bring us favor. Well, not like, not like how we understand it. So the, the, the short skinny answer is no, because they didn't see gods through the lens of Abrahamic traditions, like how we're discussing them now. They, they, they deified, a whole bunch they deified perception they deified the river they deified yep. everything so appealing to a god if we if we just leave it at that it makes it sound like they're appealing to things that are unknowable like like they they it was no rhyme or reason for this god or gods like when we say it that way but these are actual things that they simply saw that was very important which is what a nature is is something that is very very important and a staple in the culture. That's why it's a symbol of a of a of a um. Uh, what do you call it? A standard, which yeah, which holds something uh, high. Remember, you told me about. I think you said it was like a deity they had for like sick disease or something like that. Yeah. Um. Well, I, I was explaining Sekhmet, which is a deity um, portrayed as a as a female lioness deity. And she is the patroness. She is over all of the medical physicians because they deified the um, basically they, they deified the immune systems process, which is what she represents her, her rage, her being a daughter of Ra and her rage being um, to to elevate temperature and fire and stuff like that. And it had to be um, tricked into being drunk or sedated to calm her back down so she won't kill 
um, innocent people. That's a story of how the immune system works. The immune system, we get a fever. And if our fever um, is supposed to break on its own, because we're supposed to have a fever, a fever is a natural reaction, natural immune reaction that the body has against a foreign enemy or pathogen. And if the fever doesn't break, then we could uh, have serious damage to organs and other things. And so um, the whole Het Heru Sekhmet or Ra story, if you, if you, if you want to read about the story, the um, story of the um, destruction of mankind, that story is describing what you would think of how the immune system works. And the immune system is the system for health. And so she is the patroness deity over all healthcare workers in ancient Egypt called medical physicians or Sunu. They would call themselves Sunu and she was Sekhmet, the, um, the one who, who was over all of that. And so what I'm saying is that they deified everything, but it's not a God like how we look through the Abrahamic lens. And, and we have to keep ourselves in check when we- No, I'm talking about just, just, just in the form of sense of, when I say God, I mean that that deity, right? The de whatever they deified, right? Whether it be wind, whether it be uh, yeah. right, even if they can't identify the agent that that that's causing the disease, they yeah. know it's coming from somewhere, right? Right? Yep. Okay, so I'm saying like that 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 coming from somewhere, they just viewed it as they you saying they just viewed it as a natural phenomenon that can only be rectified uh, uh, medically and they were, and it's not like a, a prayer or a, you would see like a big, uh, cause, you, cause you, some society would see like a big sacrifice. They, would, they may do 20 goats, 30 goats. So, you know, whatever big feasts and you know what I mean? So you see, no, they didn't feel like. No, what I'm saying is, is almost the opposite. I'm saying that they had utterances along with the, um, medical diagnosis, prognosis and all the other kind of stuff. They had utterances along, that, that people like to translate as spells in the medical papyri. But what I'm saying is that, is that these are things like getting, being sick is not normal. Wasn't seen as, as something that's normal. It was something that's avoidable. And so, although they couldn't see the pathogen, they know whatever caused the sickness is, is curable. Like is, can be, can be handled and dealt with by doing something. And so you right. brought that on yourself. They also saw the spell as helpful also with the, with the application. The, like, the like, you can't the do one without, like you couldn't do one without the other. The utterances, the utterances went along with that stuff. Yes. All right. All right. Cool. All right. Gotcha. I mean, we, I mean, the, the medical papyri is, is full of utterances, just, just as full of utterances as it is with, um, you know, medical procedures, actual procedures and banding, bandaging, cutting open, pulling this out, pulling that out, putting this ointment there, that ointment there and stuff like that. Definitely. But what, but what I'm saying is that when a person gets ill and I'm using the, the sickness example, when a person gets ill, that is a consequence of something. And so we can look at it through the Abrahamic lens and say, okay, well, they believe that they were punished <laughs> but if you eat too many Twinkies, yeah, see, I don't want to just do Abraham because that's that's just a cultural norm. Like it's it's even deeper than this Abraham. Like you know, that's just you see that within uh, North America. I mean, you see it globally, really. Like so, it's not just Abraham; it's globally. No, no, no. Okay, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying the the um 
that idea that different people have that's global like you said but i'm saying our view of deities though is is coming through the lens of abrahamic traditions like there's no getting around that like when when i say god in this conversation you're gonna your 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 mind is gonna is gonna wrap around a concept of god or gods that's heavily influenced by the abrahamic traditions whether you like it or even realize it that's what's happening in in this conversation right now i say gods or god and um, what i'm saying we got to keep that in check because that's not how other people saw gods or gods because god is something that's important anything could be a god to a lot of other people the nile river is a god happy so to not believe in happy sounds cute but you can't say you don't believe in the Nile River because I can show it to you on the map. So, so it's 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 more than just all of that. That's why I said you know we could we could revisit the whole atheist conversation because it boils down to athe atheism relies on the conceptualization of God through the lens through the eyes you know through the lens of Abrahamic filters. Because if because if I say water is my God, and you say you don't believe in God, then that equates to you don't believe in water, but I could throw a bucket of water on you, and then we just have a laugh. So it boils down to, it's not that there's a denial of what people are calling gods, it's a dislike in how they interpret and deal with them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I if somebody else want to go, they can go. Like I said, I'm just asking because I'm trying to get, I get, I I hear everybody else's perspective. So I'm just trying to gauge your, um, get, get, get your perspective. So, you know what I mean? So, so I'm not just getting so, it from, from one, um, from just one person. Okay, so, I mean, so, all right. So let me be clear. So as far as the afterlife, I explained what the, the afterlife is not something spooky or some place that people go and chill out like the Christians heaven or hell and stuff like that. It is simply the the remembrance of a deceased person in somebody's mind who's alive. And the moment that we got 8 billion people on the planet Earth right now, roughly 8 billion people. If all 8 billion people who are alive don't remember somebody who's dead, then that person who's dead don't exist. And and out of all the humanity, over 300,000 years old of being homo sapien sapien, you best believe that. The first 290,000 Homo sapiens sapiens don't exist at all because nobody who is alive right now remembers them, any aspect of them at all. So they don't have no, they don't have an afterlife. And let me clear, let me, let me just double down on that. The there's a there's a running belief by people who don't study this stuff, but I hear it said all the time. They believe that in ancient Egypt or Kemet, that the belief in the afterlife started off with with being something that only the king could have. Like like the afterlife was only permitted by the for the king and nobody else. And then it eventually it became democratized and and and, you know, everybody had access to the afterlife. And the way they explain that is just false. And the reason why, I understand why they say it, but it, they're just wrong. 
But the reason why the king seems to be the only person that had access to the afterlife is because when writing first started, the king, first of all, the king is the most important person in the whole Kemet society. He's the, he's the epitome of the, of the society with all the responsibilities and so on and so forth. So the king had, excuse me, had to be known by the people. And the king's knowledge of the king was a very important thing, the institution of kingship and everything. So the king was always known and remembered. In fact, the very first name for the king, the official name of the king was his Heru name, which is symbolized by what's called a Sarek, which is a word that means to make known. So the king's, one of the king's purposes was to be known. And, and by default, people knew the king. And so because people knew the king and what the king did and everything attributed to him, everybody remembered the king for a long period of time, long after the king died, because the king's name was written everywhere. The king signed his name to, through the proxy of the scribes everywhere. And so the king had access to the afterlife just by the mere fact that the king's name was written and remembered everywhere. It was his name was even protected in what's called a shinu that people call a cartouche. That's why they had a rope around the king's name. It was to protect that name and to keep it in the minds of the, of the living. So today, right now, Ramses II, Waser Ma'at Ra Setepin Ra is his throne name. That king is still living his afterlife. Why? Because we're still remembering him to this day. But imagine all the other Egyptians whose name was never written anywhere that we, we can't know. They don't have an afterlife right now. Maybe people close to their generation remember them, but it faded, faded, faded. We don't know them now. They don't have an afterlife. So that's what I'm saying. The king, the kings had access to the afterlife because the kings were remembered the longest. To this day, we still remember them. Thutmose, uh, King Ankin Aten, Thutmose the first, second, third, Ma'at Kara, aka Hatshepsut. We still, we still call them, they, and, and they digging up their bodies. So they live in a good, long afterlife, boy. Long afterlife. Indeed. But there's nothing spooky about that, but go ahead. Somebody else was saying something? Um, say, but um, yeah, different topic. Can you do me a favor and um, describe, define me what the Sahu were? I heard, I heard somebody mispronounce it, but I, I need to know what um, who are they? Okay, you mentioned people, so I'm not, I'm not familiar with the people called the Sahu people. Yeah, no, I think um, it's a deity, or something like that. I'm not sure. Yeah, but I heard somebody explain to me before that this is some kind of deity. Can Can I speak on that, Wujong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with um. I I, I think uh, sorry. I think the uh, the brothers trying to talk about uh, that's what that's what some people in the community refer to as a mummy. Is that is that right? Um. Um. Brother, I, I didn't get your name. Kadeem. 
But um, okay. I think somebody explained to me is just some kind of deity who would say, like, it's some kind of like trickster kind of deity, like to the point where yeah. they explain to you who they are, but they're really somewhat something else. Then I would I would ask Wujawu if you can what is the the sesh for uh, what people call the mummy or a mummy? Okay, so hold on, let me let me just deal with what um, Kadeem was asking about. So I'm not I'm not too based on what you're describing. I don't I don't I can't um, address that because I'm not sure what what you're talking about because what you what you said is like when you say trickster and stuff. That kind of takes my mind to, um, you know, you're dealing with like in West Africa, they have actual actually trickster yeah. deities. I, talking, I mean, I don't, I ain't trying to make it like issue or anything like yeah, that. like issue and and uh, yeah, and stuff like that. So I'm not a Nazi, um, but I do believe that's what they're trying to like get around to to make that kind of similar like comparison. But I don't know. I think it was some kind of what is was it a uh, a nature, a trickster net nature. Not it, not even. So I just want to know what what it is. I want to clarify what it was from what they was telling me. Well, that's what I'm saying. You we probably had to clarify that first before you know we could talk about it. But I I can say in terms of a trickster, and the and Kemet, as far as the Neturu pantheon and stuff like that, um, there may be a couple. But the prominent one that comes to mind would be Satuk or Set, because there's a, there's stories that will, um, you know, display that behavior. So the 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 popular story of Satuk killing his brother Usir, um, he had to trick him, and so he tricked him into getting to a getting into a coffin that he knew was tailor made for his size, but he did it in such a way that it was you know a, a trick. And so he used that to, um, you know, convince him, coerce him to get in the coffin and so on, and, and eventually killed him. Okay, so, I mean, what, what does Sahu mean? Well, you, you had to show me the glyphs because there's, there's a lot of words that, that would be, that people would pronounce as Sahu or Sa and stuff like that. There's a Sa of what Donnie is talking about as the word for mummy. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of words for mummy. There's the word wet. We, um, there's a lot of words for mummy itself or the, the wrappings of the money, mummy, mummies and things like that. So sa in general would mean, um, is one word that means mummy. And so sahu, if people are trying to say mummies and pluralize the word and saying sahu mm -hmm. or sahu, um, I, I, you had to show me the glyphs to, for us to know what word you're talking about. Okay, I, ne I never got shown what the glyphs were. It just—it was just some word of mouth. But I think I'm okay. close to what what it means. Now. Yeah, if you if you ever if you ever can get that, then then bring it bring it back up because that'd be interesting. But let me say this: since we're on talking about mummies and stuff, um, th there's a deity over the mummification process, um, and we would just narrow that down to to like the the patron patron deity of embalming, the embalmer. And that would be Enpu that you see um, over the mummy. Like you may see see in the different um, vignettes where Enpu is actually standing over a mummified body or a mummy. 
and whatnot. And so one of his epithets is that is, is he who is in the embalming place and so on. So it would deal, deal with the words as the word wet that we pronounce as wet, which is to embalm. And it has to do with mummy, mummification and so on and so forth. Petrification to petrify a body or to mummify a body to go through that whole process. Then you have the side, which is the mummy itself. Um, and these different words will, will be identified with different points in time in the entire mummification process. And there's a, there's a lot of things with that. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there so people will, you know, get a couple of clues to, to look into, do further research. But it connects to Enpu as the embalmer. It also connects, believe it or not, to Oset and Nebit Hood, her sister, who are both sisters slash wives of Usir. One stands at the head, other one stands at the feet. And, it's in, and in some texts, it's their hair that becomes the wrappings the mummy wrappings itself, and which is why you see them with white hair sometimes, because the mummy bandages or wrappings, also called wet, was um or wet too, um, are wrapped around the body, and then it goes into the um the mourning, the mourning women or the mourning the the mourners, professional mourners, where they would pull their hair and all this other kind of stuff. These are all other different rituals, um, associated with the funerary process as a whole. I have something uh, before we get too far. Yep. Um, so when you and Sosa were going uh, going in and it was brought up that uh, the breaking of the noses and because uh, we're talking about misinformation and false claims and stuff, I was always under the impression that the European did it to try to hide uh, the identity of the uh, rematch. Uh, so you mentioned that uh, that's not always the case. And, right. And then how, uh, where do you, uh, with all due respect, where do you get that information from? Or what, you know, how, how do we, how do you, how do you say what you're saying? Well, I mean, the idea, the idea that um, Europeans uh, deface the statues is an idea that's been debunked a long time ago. Like scholars don't even debate that anymore. I mean, so much literature out there that just totally debunks that just on the fact that the Egyptians themselves um, did it. There's documentation. And there's a lot of evidence that the Egyptians themselves did, did that. I mean, practice that. And I'll give you a perfect example. Ramses II defaced his his own father's name off of temples his father being Seti the first and him being Ramses the second he defaced him and removed his name to put his name there Hatshepsut um is another one Akhenaten is another where 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 there's just overwhelming evidence that the Egyptians themselves damaged their likenesses and names all the way back in, in those ancient times themselves. And the reason why is because, and this, and this goes all the way back to the glyphs themselves where 
certain glyphs are drawn with a knife through it because they didn't want the, the what the glyph represents represent to be animated or to have an idea of animation or being alive. So, so you may see, for example, you may see the deity Apep written, his name written, but knives going through, his name written with a snake and knives going through the snake itself just to write his name. Same thing with Satuk, when Satuk was seen as, um, you know, something that's evil or bad. Same thing. People born with red, reddish hair and whatnot was like, was like a, a taboo at one point. So I'm saying that to say that, it, you know, it's just overwhelming evidence that the Egyptians had this practice. But here's why. The nose and things is because the, um, the idea of death. The, well, the, the, the observation of, of death versus sleep was, was used to conceptualize, you know, um, this, this uh, uh, what do you call it, um, sustaining of life. So, for example, if you, if you look at a dead person laying on the ground and you look at a person who's just sleeping, laying on the ground, at first glance, they, they look identical. But the person who is sleeping has the ability to wake up and get up, and the person who's dead doesn't. So the question becomes, what allows one person to get up and another one doesn't? Not get up. Because both of them have their mouths closed and everything. And so there's something that is sustaining the life of one of them and not the other. And that substance that sustains their life was seen as air. And that air sustained the life and allowed the person to breathe. But the air was traveling through the nose, not the mouth, because the mouth is closed. And so to prevent this sustaining of life, all you have to do is just cut off the opening, the nose, to, pre to prevent this concept of, of sustaining or this longevity from happening. And so the nose was a target. This is one of the reasons why you see the unk being held up to the nose in certain um, vignettes and sceneries, because that was the passageway in which a person can travel into the underworld, a.k.a. the subconscious while you're sleeping, but yet return from the duat every day because the air is keeping you alive, your ability to breathe kept you alive while you're traveling in your own subconscious called sleep while you're sleeping the air is keeping you alive the moment somebody suffocates you while you're sleeping you're gonna die it's just that simple nobody can get around that because that's a fact that we can see and test out right now go to sleep and let somebody put a pillowcase or plastic bag over your face it's not gonna look good for you <laughs> So the only thing that's keeping you alive while you're sleeping, because remember, when you're asleep, there's certain chemicals in your body that are released, enzymes and chemicals in your body that are released that partially paralyzes you, that, that, that prevents your body from acting out your dreams. So you don't move while you're sleeping and act out your dreams. Whatever you're dreaming, you're not actually moving because your body is, is in a semi-paralyzed -par state. And so your subconscious takes over, your autopilot takes over. You're not consciously controlling your heart rate, your heartbeat, your breathing, none of that stuff. You're not controlling any of that stuff. 
That's on total autopilot. And the key to that whole autopilot system while you're sleeping is breath. The ability to breathe. And if you cut that off, that's the, that's the signified death. And so to cut off the, the, the noses of the statues is symbolic, is a figurative expression of cutting off someone's life. Has nothing to do with white people not liking black people. All right, so I just want to make that clear because that, that, happens, that happens. Thank you. So hopefully everybody understands that. And, and you, got, you got to understand that um, why, you know, in general, like if, 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 if we're being real, like if you, if you actually was a person to take time to study, this goes for anybody. If you actually take time to study the Egyptian statues all throughout the Egyptian, you know, Egypt's existence from, from the oldest stat statue you could find all the way to the last one that you could find it, you're um they're not they're not going to look definitively like africans or the stereotype of an african like big lips big nose now the ones that do we like to highlight and point out like we'll say um king uh den or um Mantu Hotep or Mentu Hotep, the second. We'll, we'll highlight certain statues like that. But there are other statues that the nose are the nose is intact, but it doesn't look like your stereotypical African nose, like like the stereotype of it. You know, the big, you know, um the the exaggerated stereotype of big nostrils and Low bridge and and you know high brow and all this other kind of stuff. KRS one, <laughs> yeah. There you go. K yeah, KRS one. A lot of statues do not look like KRS one. There's some that do, but there's there's many that don't. And so the so the, so the argument about all that stuff is just really not even. Um, it's it's just noise at this point. Scholars don't even argue about that. You got you got peripheral people that still argue about that stuff, but it's not. It's not a it's not an argument. It's like, so what? It's like doesn't even matter. Because Egypt is on the continent of Africa. The Egyptians were definitely Africans. And everything else is like, what? People want to argue over their over their skin color, and that's stupid because on the continent of Africa to this very day, you have a diversity of skin pigmentation colors. From South Africans, from the uh, Khoisan, all the way to your, um, uh, what's a very dark skinned um, population? I, I think the Dinka, if I'm not mistaken. Dinka, Nuer, yeah. All those. The Nuer and Dinka, right. They're, they're known to be very dark. But the Khoisan and, and stuff, they're, they're like, man, high yellow. So I mean to argue over that stuff and, and Africanness is just silly at this point, and that's and that's part of the problem that I you know I always point out it's just part of the problem 
people arguing over skin color and stuff like that, not even getting into the genius of the minds of the people. And this goes back to what I said at first, is that why can't people learn about a civilization and appreciate the civilization for what it is and not trying to argue about what they want it to be? It's a tug of war. You know, like it's, it's like a bird. Instead of admiring a bird for being a bird, you got two people trying to make the bird one person a trying to make the bird a lion and then person b trying to make the bird a crocodile tugging tugging war and arguing with each other instead of just accepting the bird as a bird and learning about it and seeing what's what let the ancient egyptians be the ancient egyptians why do they have to be anything other than that I mean, for the life of me, that just is amazing to me. I don't understand. Like, why can't they just let the Egyptians be the Egyptians? That's it. I mean, we got enough information. Are they African? Duh. Egypt to this day is on the continent of Africa. So if that's the criteria, then yes, they're African. <laughs> I mean, what else is there to talk about? Were they influenced by a previous civilization? Okay, well, give me the exact, you know, when people argue that, I ask them, I say, look, give me the exact temperature where cold becomes hot. And, and you can't, because it's, it's, it's subjective by default, it's subjective by nature, and you, you're not going to give me a, a, a precise temperature where a cold becomes hot. There's too many blurs and gradients on that to make it subjective. A civilization does not pop up out of nowhere. Just like human beings, there is no such thing as a, as a first human being. I hope everybody understands that. Because every living organism is the same thing as its parents. And, and once people digest that statement, they're going to look at things totally different because now that they, they, they should realize that it's not the, the thing itself, but it's, but it's how we demarcate and label it. So Egypt being called Egypt or Kemet being called Kemet. Well, actually Kemet was not even called Kemet by the people as a kingdom until the 11th dynasty. There was no kingdom called Kemet by the people until the 11th dynasty. You know, period. So, you know, that's that's just a fruitless argument. But it, I mean, I'm talking to so anybody else. I, mean, I, I can't even see who, who in here. I need to get back into the Zoom. Who Who else is in here? OK, we got. All right. Jolanda, so peace to everybody. I didn't even know. Man, we got peace. Everybody's quiet. Got Lisa, Jolanda, or J yeah, Jolanda. Let me say it properly. Thank you. Yeah, Jolanda. I, I remember that. See, I'm I, I'm hard on names, so I want to say it properly. Jolanda. Yes, indeed. Landa. La, 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 Landa. I am King Sosa. So what's up? What you got? What else you got? So you're trying to figure out how how spooked out. So so it sounds like okay. So like I'm you up, have I'm up, uh -oh. <laughs> huh? She said I'm up. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, everybody was quiet. So I'm saying, what, 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 you, what, what else? You, what else you got? Because so, so we covered the afterlife. We kind of talked about superstition. So, so just to reiterate that, you know, I, I don't think anybody should be claiming that any civilization was absent of, of superstition because you had, you had superstition, you had beliefs and everything in pretty much every culture, even to this day. So that's there. But we have to properly describe everything, though. I think a lot of people exaggerate and don't understand. But, you know, it's definitely superstition was definitely there um, for every every civilization. Like I said today, people don't even want to come in a house with an open umbrella, uh, walk under a ladder. The 13th floor thing, people people. <laughs> what's funny about the 13th floor thing is that the building that has a 13th floor. It has a actually it actually has a 13th floor, but they don't n- name it 13. They just put 14 there. Number go 14. For, yeah, go yeah, for I 12. Like a couple of days ago, that was a hotel. It shows like sure enough, 12, 14. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, it goes from 12 to 14. But guess what? It's it's not like they built the 13th floor and then just skip it. The, yeah, the, four, the 14th floor is actually a 13th floor. <laughs> yeah, it's psychological, the psychological flat to see that number 13. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, so um, what I'm saying is that superstition is something that always finds its way, you know, to la- you know, kind of survive through civilization. So, so if anybody says Egyptians were not superstitious, um, that would be just a crazy claim to make. Cause everybody has it. Now, if it if it if it if it ruled the the kingdom now, I mean, if if people are saying superstition was the was the norm rule of the day and that's what guided the culture, then that's when that's false. You can't you can't do that because superstition is not going to guide what what we have left and the contribution that Egypt had. That's not good. Just like somebody can't tell me that some unorganized slaves built these um, buildings in Kemet that takes engineering and precision and, and planning and stuff like that. That is, you, you just would not make any sense whatsoever. All right. So what was the, what was the, um, why so much effort in the, 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 uh, the burials, the mummification process? Like, was that to further to further the afterlife? Afterlife, you know what I'm saying? Did they did they foresee a, you know what I'm saying? People digging it up and it being it, you know what I mean? Like, what was the? Okay, so check this out. Um, in ancient times, the great the tombs were robbed. So you got to ask you. We have to. We should ask ourselves. Um, if there was a general belief or a, or a, or a prominent belief that disturbing a tomb would cause like severe problems and this, that, and a third, then, then the tomb robbery would not be a prevalent thing to the point where they had to, to um, move bodies, even ancient times, like somebody could be buried in one place. And even in ancient times, they would, they would psych people out by burying in one place publicly, but then privately moving them somewhere else and things like that out of fear that the tombs will get, um, desecrated and robbed way back then, let alone what was going on now and stuff. So that should put that out. No, but, no, but why is such great, you know, like why is such great importance 
to the whole mummification process. Like, you know, the whole wrapping and removing organs and, you know, lining the, you know what I mean? Spells, you know, the whole rigmarole they went through after uh, somebody, a uh, pharaoh will deceased us. Well, well, it was to anchor, it was, okay, to understand that and to, to like really get into that is to understand how the Egyptians saw the human being. You know, how the body, the purpose, the, the purpose of the body, how the body rots and they and they call it the cot and they actually determine it with a with a fish because fish was known that when fish die and rot, they have a very, very foul smell, just like a human being um, who rots and decays has a very, very foul smell. And so if you look into the culture, into the text, they will talk about this decaying body um, and and describe what what happens to a decaying body the fluids and stuff like that so instead of it being a negative thing and allowing that to happen they would preserve preserve the body for that purpose so that it, it could um have a different purpose and anchor the other parts of of how they saw the human being so you have the the kaibit and i named them earlier all these other different parts are come with this, you know, this, this package. So the preservation of the, of the body, which was, was for the, one of the many reasons was to preserve or to, um, what do you call it? Raise the, the um, chances of a long or eternal afterlife. Cause the goal is eternity. And so the King was always granted eternity. That's why they say, you know, jet me ra. But not the, uh, but not yeah. necessarily, not necessarily the um, your regular citizen. Well, some of them, yeah, some some of them, yes, but the king for sure, like uh, aristocrat, the, king aristocrats, you know what I'm saying, like king the wife, royal, the, royal, the king, royal family, the royal court, the royal family, stuff like that, but not, but but not quite like you know we could just say oh you know they they're showboating or whatever or privilege. But it was because of the responsibility that the king had the king. Like, for example, the president of the United States, um, whoever that may be at any particular time, that president has to have the available resources to carry out the, the, the office of presidency. So the president has to have all these different things at, at his fingertips to be able to perform the job. So likewise, kings had to have all these different things in place to be able to carry out their duties as the king and it just so happens that a lot of things that they needed can be seen as as you know everything at their fingertips including you know um being wealthy and 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 all this other kind of stuff or, or bougie as we would say today and whatnot and one of the perks uh we see it as perks one of the perks was a immortality but not in a literal sense, because some of the kings uh, like right now it's true. But eventually, if somebody forgets Ramsey II, then he's not he's no longer be immortal right now. He is because we still remember him. So he's immortal. And so the kings think about this. We remember Ramsey's. But do we remember the third dude that used to always be next to him <laughs> back when he was alive? No. We have no idea who that is or his name or nothing. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm just giving that example, but I'm just saying 
there's so many ancient Egyptians that we just have no clue or remembrance of to where they do not have an afterlife because of that. But the king does because of the simple fact that he's the king. So I'm saying the preservation of the body, one of the reasons for that was for this purpose that I'm, I'm talking about, was to ensure immortality. You know, the, the, the higher percentage of, of immortality. The king was granted life, de-unk, mira, jet. To, the king was granted life like Ra forever. And Ra being the sun, the sun has this eternal cyclic um, appearance, disappearance, appearance, disappearance, appearance, disappearance. The sun rises and sets every day. And so the Egyptians observed that happening like clockwork every day. So they wanted the king to live and survive in the same fashion. Jet, the word jet is like the word forever. Nahi is eternal and jet is forever. Or it's like a, a vertical uh, timeline or cyclic timeline. So they just wanted the king to live forever. And so one of the ways was through mummification as far as the body, anchoring the body, leaving the heart in there, draining the brain out, taking the lungs and intestines and stuff out to help in this petrification process we call mum mummifying. Because leaving the organs in there and stuff like that would um would would go against you know the preservation process, putting it in, in the natron and and that whole chemical process of what they did. So they took the, all the organs out, the major organs out. When you look at um neighboring cultures in, in that specific region, uh the the type of um understanding that that you find in Kemet was it do you look at it and see it as the the um the thinking of the day like most societies in that vicinity are uh within that influential range so to speak whatever radius you know so whether it be Mesopotamia or neighboring nations that they carry that same type of um understanding and representation of this other spiritual world, do you, or do you see it as unique, uh, mostly to Kemet? Um, well, Kemet, Kemet definitely took advantage and leveraged it, but but mummification is actually um, no, 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 not just mummification. I'm oh, talking what? in terms of like the 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 way they dealt with uh, medicine, you know, things of that nature, as far as spells like uh, the afterlife. Yeah, do you, do you know what I'm saying? Well, like in, in, in terms of that, was it was it similar? I'm saying, or do you do you, do you think Kim and mostly stood out alone on that? No, no, no. The um, living in the memory, because remember, I'm 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 just defining the afterlife as living on in the memory of the living, and pretty much a, many human populations groupings were were practitioners of that. They they wanted to be remembered in their progeny, you know, in some form of fashion. So this ancestral veneration type of stuff go is beyond Kemet is before Kemet and, and it's pretty much practiced globally in that sense. Kemet like leveraged it and, and like really took it to a whole nother um, level with the different type. And plus it, it is because Kemet was a sedentary culture, civilization, the river culture. So they didn't roam around nomadic and stuff like that where where you where it didn't matter. Like you bury somebody. If you're a nomadic group of people, 
you bury somebody at at this coordinate, you know, later on you're not gonna you're not gonna be at that coordinate anymore, that area anymore and stuff. And so that just wouldn't make sense to to harper on that or to or to or to you know expound and expand on that like how ancient Egyptians did. But but that was common. That was a common thing. The afterlife. Because when you look at other cultures, like some of them took it a step further. Where you know, as far as like human sacrifice, where it got it got beyond the scope of of a spiritual understanding, and you know, and it got uh, you know vicious, so to speak. You know, what I mean, when you talk about the sacrifice of people and actually letting out uh, blood for the gods, from human blood for the gods. Gods, yeah, you know, I mean, like I said, the deities, whatever, you know, however they refer to them. Like I said, some of some of that went on. Some of that, just like cannibalism, went on. So certain these certain practices that that actually that went on in Kemet, huh? You said that happened in Kemet. No, I'm saying among people. Period. Like, like there there are practices that people have done in the past that they later evolve out of it out of doing it becomes a um a no longer practice whatever the case is um so like you said because you mentioned human sacrifices and stuff so yeah even even in the it's argued even to this day that pre-dynastic and even bumping up to the first dynasty that there was some um sacrifices going on and then to the to the, to the particular uh, nature or no like, what was it no for the, as far as for the king for people like if a king died uh, oh. people would sacrifice themselves to be with the king in the king in the death of the king and and that oh, got replaced what was their like, understanding? like what was the understanding like what would be what would their, what was their understanding of what would be achieved with that like okay so to give you a, a modern example if if you and I grow up as friends, we good friends on the block, and then you get put on and you become famous, I'm going to ride your coattail because you're famous. And so I'm going to ride your coattail so I could be famous too. But you were you the one chosen. You the one that got the record contract and stuff. <laughs> to but, the grave, Mujah's a whole nother. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I ride the wave. You feel me? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but on the day of your funeral, when they put the casket down, like, asking me to get in there with you. You know that's a whole other type of convincing going on to get it. No, but I, but but see that's that's but I'm I'm just using that as a as a modern mm-hmm. example. But I, I wasn't saying death. Now I was saying I was saying <laughs> if you if you got chosen, if if me and you grow up, and me and you me and you practicing dancing or rapping or whatever, and then you get chosen with the record deal, and I don't, you gonna put me on some form of fashion where I, I'm a, I'm a ride I'm a ride that that glory with you. And, and I would want that. So I'm saying if I have a belief that you are going to be remembered in the minds of the living for a very long time, I want to be remembered, too. So when you go out, I'm going to go out there. Right. I'm going to go out right with you and be buried right next to you. So if people remember you, they're going to remember me. And you have an afterlife, a long, a long, long afterlife. I am, too. Now, that sounds crazy to us today. But I mean, because I just think it's, you know, I'm fascinated by the fact that, you know, because that don't just happen, just that didn't just happen, it just kept it. Like that happened globally in different societies. And just the fact that they all came to that is like mind blowing to me. 
So it just seemed like that is some. It's like the human. Because even they'll be in different environments, but somehow, some way, it plays out similarly. You know what I'm saying? I'm fascinated. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's okay. There's a reason for that because a lot of overlapping is based on the fact that we're all human. So there, there's some commonality just on the nature of us being of the same species. Even with resurrection. And so yeah, that's, well, yeah, that's what trips me out. I'm like, I'm always fascinated. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, but but now what, what creates the nuances and the slight, you know, deviations and stuff is the environment, you know, is the environment yeah, yeah, yeah. is 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 what we what we identify as different cultures. So the culture swings it, but but humans have a, a large overlap in in the way we function and so this idea to be remembered is is a very old and very global and common idea to be remembered and and people and people missing people want to change that and say after life to make it into a thing and whatnot um but but it's it's just something that's very very common even right now like we we visit the grave sites of our loved ones we, we hang up pictures. See, today, listen, boy, I'm telling you, if the ancient Egyptians had had what we have today, they wouldn't go through all that because the whole point is to remember. And so all they got to do is just take a bunch of pictures and store it on their computer or, or hang it on the wall and they're done. It's a wrap. That's it. And so and that and that's the purpose of a quote unquote shrine to your to your immediate family or loved ones is the point is to remember and and so check this out and i'm gonna have a yeah, whole they'll be, some, they'll be on some cryogenic stuff they'll be like <laughs> oh, oh just, yeah i mean yeah I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now listen yeah yeah if they they would have had some next level stuff but i'm saying yeah. if they had exactly what we had have right now but hold up check this out um sacrifice sacrificial offerings to ancestors the entire point of that is connected to what i'm saying uh memory remembrance the reason why you would fix a plate of food for your deceased ancestor and then even leave it out somewhere doing that ritual of you doing that is 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 going to keep them in your your remembrance and then when your children sees you doing it and they pick up the same um same thing to do it's going to be a perpetual remembrance and so these shrines that people have in their houses and in the, in the corner of their living rooms or whatever and stuff like that, the whole purpose of that is to remember. That's that's the bottom line. Everything they do around that is to that end, to, to remember, um, to remember someone. And what better way to remember them is to have a picture there. Now that we have picture technology, we have technology to do that. But prior to that, they had to do other things. And like I said, before writing, they had to have a invent a very genius way of recording science. And they did it in a figurative way. So and we still use that today, too. We call it, you know, metaphors, tropes, similes, hyperboles and all that kind of stuff. But to them, that was their technology for survival, for them to transmit data from one generation to the other. They had to invent a, a, a way to do that. With no writing, no way to store it. There was no write, no such thing as writing, no computers, no nothing. 
And so they so they had to invent within their mode of communication, they had to invent a parallel mode of communicating as a storage device. And I'm telling you, that is a 10th wonder of, of the ancient world for them to be able to do that. And then they went from there to tying knots. A lot of people don't talk about that, but there are some cultures that store data by tying knots. They take rope and tie knots and encode information in knots and, and to yeah, decode Native, Amer Native Americans do it like that. Yeah. yeah. And, some, yeah, yeah. And, and, some, and some groups in uh, West Africa. Yeah, they um, did it up until like the Spanish, up until like the, up until the Spanish came in. And then the Spanish figured out what they was doing and then they uh, uh, eliminated the practice. Yeah, so, so, so it was all about retaining knowledge and data for the next generation and even in kemet the word the word for wit one of the words for wisdom or or you know uh, knowledge and wisdom and stuff like that is a is a glyph of a knot called chess we pronounce it as chess but not like the game chess but chess and that glyph is a knot and it's associated with the storage of information which becomes our idea of wisdom because wisdom is like a, a repository of knowledge yeah, plus um, something that I think you mentioned about if the Egyptians were, uh, you know, if the culture had a continuation up, up until this time, it would be like crazy to see the innovation because when you notice like um, even with the writing system and you talked about just um, the storage of information going before the writing system and all the way to the writing system. But with the writing system itself, you could actually see how um, the innovation went um, towards um, democratizing and and also making it simpler and simpler like you know we showed with the 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 you know what are the um presentation we had on on heretic but you could see like how the writing system itself actually was being made simpler and simpler so definitely even when it comes to things like um like the afterlife or, or remembrance and you know you probably like you said you know it would be like much simpler from going to building all the pyramids and buying um, you know, the king and all the assets and things like that to something very, very simple. So the point is always like their culture is just simplifying things and, you know, like just innovative. And that's what we don't see. Or we, we didn't see a lot with, you know, with the with um, other African cultures where um, with our cultures on a continent, at some point we became um, very stuck in traditions. So even the, the culture itself um, stopped being fluid and stopped moving, you know, being innovative. So that's why you see even um, people still doing things that were done like 100 or 200 years ago, you know, instead of actually using, um, the, you know, the technology that we have and, and making things simpler. But that was definitely something that, you know, with, uh, with you know, with the rematch. Yeah. So, um, so listen, I mean, like, okay, you say you were amazed that, that like this, these practices are global, but. Yeah, not necessarily, not, I don't, not amazed. Cause you know, I, you know, I studied the whole social and cognitive science. I'm all, it's just, I'm in awe of it. It would be the, you know what I mean? Like it always. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. that's what I meant. I meant, I meant like, it's very interesting. Like, you know, it's yeah. Like so so incredible, you know what I'm saying? But so, now, but hold on, like you don't if you don't look at it, you you would think the phenomena is just there. But when you look at the globe, you'd be like, "Oh my goodness!" And then you kind of and then you see the human experience play out globally. Now they're always going to be lift different nuances, but 
you'll see some of the same outline. It's even like a step pyramid process from Egypt to South America. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, you feel me? It's, it's, well, the, that's, that's what I'm saying. And I'm, I'm saying like how that's very interesting. What I find interesting and even fascinating is, is what, I was, what I was mentioning earlier is, is the fact that like, cause we, we grow up in a, in a, in a world where writing exists, you know, um, not only just writing, but we got computers and all that stuff now, but I'm saying just, just writing exists. So, so we take it for granted. Like it's, it's just so ordinary and normal, but just imagine going backwards in time where writing never existed. Like you, you gotta like think about like how how like we take for granted how how we transmit and store data, like like right now, obviously we got we got in the internet, so so data is stored on servers that we can Google and go to Wikipedia, and everything is there, but that's beyond writing. But I'm just saying, imagine before obviously before computers, but before writing itself, how in the world is data collected and and saved to be able to transmit. So that means you had to have ingenious ways of storytelling, of dancing. Like a lot of stories are told in dance movement, body movements, um, in speech itself, and all these things. And guess what? In Kemet, they deified these processes, like the deity who, which is the, the deity of utterance, the, um, you know, utterance you have perceptions the deity sia and the deity called heka which they translate as magic but you know that goes in a whole other direction but i'm saying they deified some of this stuff and i'm saying that when we read these texts we have to keep that in mind that these things are using a technology that we wouldn't say a technology today we just say figurative expressions but that to them was was their lifeline and the scribes, remember, the scribes are the documenters of their psychology. So the scribal profession, profession back then, was seen as the um, the what do you call it? The 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 people that took up like the photographers of the mind, so to speak. The scribes took a snapshot of the psychology of the people. And, and, and documented that in a technology that today we call figurative expressions. So everything that we read is not literal. There are realities behind the symbolisms and the figurative expressions. But yet, when people talk about Kemet, they talk about the figurative expressions as if they're literal and then make up conclusions and think the Egyptians were spooked out and this, that, and the third when, when it is not like that at all. But yeah, I mean, not to say that superstition and beliefs didn't exist, but I'm saying you're not going to be able to make those arguments by um, reading the text and interpreting them literally. Not with me. I'm telling you, you could put me in front of anybody that does that, and I'll, ha- I'll ask logical questions with, that will expose their inconsistency in their logic. It would just show that they're just cherry picking. It's just like whatever they feel. Like over here is literal. Over here is it is not literal. Why? What prompts you to to say literal there and not literal there? Give me the exact thing that prompts you to do that, and they can't. They never do it. They can't do it. 
even in the same text, like I just showed the the, the judgment scene, they don't take Empu as, as a literal person or Heru or human with a falcon head. They don't take that literal. They don't take the fact that a heart will never um, be lighter than a feather. They, well, they, un they understand that. Let, let's have a little fun. Why don't you ask me that question? And then let, let's see how I answer those, those two questions, if you, if you want to. Okay, I, just, I like I asked Unc earlier. So, all right, I'm put it on the screen. I'm gonna put it on the screen. I'm gonna ask you the question. <laughs> Try to make it simple because I'm slow. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna make it simple. Uh, okay, so so on my screen, I have the famous judgment scene that everybody's familiar with. So my question to you is: This where this this animal that this blue arrow is pointing to? Do you believe that the Egyptians believe that there was a there was such an animal? in real life, literally walking around in Egypt? No. Okay. So by you answering no, then, then you're also saying that this is figurative, correct? Yes. Okay. Figurative, figurative as in it's like an analogy. It's just representing something. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's what figurative is. Analogies and metaphors and, and all that, all that falls under the, um, under the umbrella of figurative expressions, right? So now let's move to this figure here. Do you believe that the ancient Egyptians believed that there was an actual human that had a, a canine head walking around in Egypt? No. Okay. So now what happens at this point when I ask these questions to people, because most people can't read this text, is that that's why I use this because most people are familiar with it. So I asked the question is that this entire scene as illustrated and described in the text, is that literal? Agreed. You said what? Uh, I agree with you. It's not, it's not literal. Okay. Then that's it. That's that then discussion is over. What, I, what I'm saying is that there are people that will answer the first question like you did, the second question like you did. But when I ask them about the whole text, they, they go contrary to that consistency in their logic. They will say that the Egyptians really did believe in, in the um, underworld and, and that you really go through these 12 gates and, and that, you know, you're going to merge with, Usir and Ra literally and this, that, and the third. There are people who, who believe the Egyptians believe that. But yet, when I showed them a picture of Ra as a ram-headed deity and stuff, they say, nah, no human, no human was like that, or Kanum or any <laughs> other deity. They say, no, but I'm like, but like, wait a minute. But you said they're going to meet these people in the underworld, so if they're not literal, and, you know, like, that doesn't make sense. And so my whole point for doing that with anybody it's to just wake people up to the fact that just admit you don't know. Just mm -hmm. admit you don't know how the Egyptians perceive this stuff. And if and and by admitting you don't know, then at least that should start the journey of you trying to find out or just be quiet. Just shut up. Don't start a YouTube channel and profess to be some kind of expert in Egypt when you have never taken the time out to even um pinpoint the realities behind all this figurative expression you know so like i said here this heart here is is 
never meant to be taken literally as a heart, the organ. And in fact, the heart is not even said to be the human heart anyway. It's the heart of an ox. But nevertheless, this ib, this heart is the word. It's a logograph. It's a word, ib, which is a word for the mind. And what's being weighed is the content of your mind. This whole scene is a psychoanalytical tool for the, for the person themselves to analyze themselves. And I, and, and I get it. Say again? Uh, I was just saying, I get it. Uh, I kind of wanted to, if it's okay, I wanted to ask you a question. Like, I kind of yeah. wanted to switch it a little bit. Okay, go ahead. If it's okay. And, uh, you know, just kind of sti sticking with the topic of misinformation and false claims. And when you started out, you you know, you brought the claim up of, you know, what, what was the first claim you brought up was, uh, you know, were the Egyptians black or something? I, I thought that was just to kind of, you know, start a conversation, get the conversation going and stuff like that. But what I want to ask you is, uh, sticking to that topic, is there anything that you're concerned about that you could speak on and want to share? You know, I know uh, the time and all that good stuff, but you know, just something, because I kind of feel like the conversation goes in a circle sometimes. Uh, uh, and sometimes it needs to do that. But I, I just see. You know, oh, there's a there's a whole lot of claims that that are out there that that. um. Well, just one that you want to stand on. OK, the the OK, the, the one that you just mentioned, the Egyptians did not name their country after their skin color period point blank and anybody who who pushes that has no idea what they're talking about and they're insane the egyptians did not name their country kemet to 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 um represent the color of their skin kemet does not mean the land of black skinned people period point blank i don't care who you are or what you look like that's just not true so ask me the question what question? What 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 question? Uh, did the question did he, that you're talking about? Did the did the ancient did the ancient Egyptians uh, name their country after their skin color? No, there was no such construct as race. Okay, I mean, yeah, that's true. Uh, um, um, that's that's true. But so so we we agree then. I mean, I'm just saying. We but agree. I have another. I have another part. Oh, good. Go ahead. Uh, I'm going to say that they named it because uh, when there was the flood, uh, that black, um, they call it, I think they call it silk, that it left behind that was good for the land and stuff made it fertile. I think they named it after that. At least that's the, uh, uh, if, if I defer, you know, which I'm going to do, uh, that's what that's what that's what the general consensus is. Yeah, that is. Well, if there's two and we we addressed it more so in a, in a more procedural way, there, there's two running hypotheses. One is the one you just said that Kemet is so named because of the black um, aftermath of the flood, the black silt that the Nile flood left behind making the soil fertile. And then the other hypothesis is that. Kemet is so named because the people skin color was black. And so those are the two running 
hypotheses and we address both and they're both uh wrong and Kemet is named because of the accessibility to water just like the desheret is the inaccessibility to water which produces dryness and Kemet's ability accessibility to water produce wetness so Kemet is identified as as a riparian zone and a lot of people a lot of people never heard of that word riparian when when we first was arguing that and it was new to people a lot of people didn't even know what a toponym was let alone the word riparian but once they look it up they'll see that the word riparian is a is the exact same word as or same way of of saying Nile Valley civilization. Because when you say Nile, everyone knows the Nile is a river. And when you say a river civilization, the definition of riparian zone or riparian area is an area of land that is adjacent or near a river. So they're saying the same thing, just using two different forms of saying it. Nile Valley civilization or riparian zone or riparian country. That's what Kemet is. Kemet is a riparian country or riparian zone. It consists of a valley and a delta. And most people lived in the riparian zone and not on its outskirts called the Desheret. So most people lived in the Kemet of Kemet and not the Desheret of Kemet when Kemet became the umbrella name for the whole kingdom. Prior to it being called Kemet, it was, remember, it was called Kemet first as a kingdom in the 11th dynasty. But there was places called Kemet within Kemet prior to the whole kingdom being called Kemet. The entire kingdom prior to that was mainly called Tawi or Samatawi. Tawi, which is which is understood in the consciousness of the people to be two distinct regions unified. The word Ta, people translate it as earth or land, but it also means like a region. And so you have Ta Seti, Ta Mary, Ta Nahisi, Ta Shamau, Ta Mehu. These are all regions, distinct regions. And the two main bigger regions, Ta-Mehu and Tashima'u, were united under one called Tawi, which is the dual form of the word Ta. The W-Y, or when we say we, Tawi is, is to make the word dual. Ta'u would be plural, Tawi is dual, and Ta is singular. So Tawi is the two regions. And the word semi put in front of it is to is is to indicate unification. So these two regions unified is what composed of the kingdom. And then by the time you get to the 11th dynasty, that same kingdom that was unified was called Kemet. And that's just it. it has nothing to do with skin color. In fact, the, the ancient Egyptians represented themselves in visual artwork in reddish reddish using reddish brown pigments not black so if the egyptians was to go so far 
to name their country after their skin and that and that word is supposed to mean black then you have to ask yourself for all of 3000 years why didn't they paint themselves representative of using black pigment when they painted th themselves on the walls and everywhere see that doesn't make sense that doesn't match up why are you going to paint yourself reddish brown but then call your country black as if to name after your skin color, but yet you don't visually represent yourself with that skin color. Plus the skin color is not even black. So that wouldn't make sense. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just showing how illogical all this is. This is really just silly. All, all of it is really silly. That's why people who argue that even to this day, you, you got people out there that are arguing this for, for the past four years, three years. You got people in ASCAC, people over there in Abiba Tumi, so-called scholars, so-called uh, um, students of scholars still arguing that stuff. It makes no sense. Then would that make them the best definition of a, 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 a straw man? <laughs> Not a straw man. Was it a, a logical fallacy? Well, not. I mean, at, at at this point, it's borderline. You know, just just being <laughs> silly or or slow at this point. And I'm saying this because I don't see. I don't. I don't get into to the to the person. I don't care who it is because you have some scholars that that push that, and they're just as slow on that topic. They they could be on point with other things, but on this topic, they're slow. Anybody who anybody who will say that the Egyptians wanted to name their country after their skin color and and that color is black. But yet when they depicted themselves and had the ability to use any pigment color they wanted, they, they did not use black. So 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 for them to say that is, is really to insult your intelligence. And so here we come. We're just telling everybody what it what what the real deal is. It has nothing to do with skin color, at all. It has it has to do with wetness. Remember, the share, the color red, and the and the color black, is a is these are, what do you call it? What do you call it when you um these are associations or proxies, because this is the thing, um. The, the color red and the color black are proxies for dryness and wetness. And so I'm, I'm going to prove it to you right now. If you have a, um, a gray shirt, they call it, they call it um, Kelly gray. But if you have a gray sports t-shirt, right? That's all it is. No print on it, just gray. And it has that, that, that pure gray color. If you were to dip it in a, in a bucket of water and pull it out, the shirt gets darker than it was when it was dry. And the inverse is true. If it's wet and you let it dry, it's going to lighten up. So dryness is associated with lighter or the red. And then it's wetness. Anything that's wet is going to get darker than it is when it's dry. That's just a fact of nature and how wetness and dryness works. So you got tefnut and shu. When things get moist and wet, they get dark. When they get dry, 
and arid, they get lighter. We see it all the time. And so Kemet and Desheret or Desher and Kem as two colors, red and black, are, are proxies for the process of accessibility to water and that which gets wet and the inaccessibility of water and that which does not get wet. And where do you want to live? Do you want to live where water is accessible or where it's not? And that's it. And Kemet is a river culture. Everything about the culture of ancient Egypt depended on that river, the Nile. The Nile is literally the, the life line of the whole culture. And what was that word you called it? What, denial? No, yeah, you had a word for it. Like when you live by the, the river, there was a word that you had. Oh, riparian zone, the repair, riparian zone. Okay, yeah, I don't like that. And so we have to understand that the river, the cycle of the river flooding and receding, flooding and receding was, was the life of Kemet. If it wasn't for that, there would be no Kemet. And, and, and the two banks of that river were called Idebwi. Ideb being a bank and Idebwi being the two river banks. And that was another name for Kemet. The land of the two river banks. West Bank and East Bank. Iyabet and Amanet. And so you have these two river banks that separated the left and right of, of Egypt. And then you have the valley and the delta that separated the north and south. It, it, I mean, it's really just simple as that. It has nothing to do with skin color. Skin color is a feel-good fantasy that that at one point we needed to, to um, what do you call it, uh, breathe life into our self-esteem by saying such a great culture is black. So much so that they named their country black. I, I get it now. You know, I'm over it. I, I used to think that way. I've never but... seen um I've never seen any people themselves name it black. It's normally an outsider who named it black. Like do you have an example of a society itself that named it? No, Name that's itself? what no, that's that's and that's the thing. Like like um a lot of people, a lot of people don't name themselves. A lot of people around the world call themselves people. In their language, like the literal word for people is usually what they call themselves, but in their language, like the word remage, it means people. And that's what the Egyptians called themselves. I think like Zanzibar, right? Something like that. Is Zanzibar something? Oh, from, <laughs> the word, from the word Zenji, slave or, or black? Yeah, yeah, but it was not. Yeah, but it wasn't given to them. It was a name given to them. It wasn't. They didn't give themselves that name. Yeah. And likewise, even with the word Nubian from Noba. And stuff like that. It's it's understood that that the Meroites or Meroe named another group of people Nubian or Noba, and it stuck and stuff, and it meant something different. So they they refer to that as exo name, exonymic names. So where other people would name a people, and then that becomes the name of the people. So like Chinese, like Chinese people don't call themselves Chinese, but that's that's how we name them. 
and um and Germans, Germans, like I don't even think Germans call themselves Germans. Like Greeks are really the Hellas or Helen Hellenus or something. You know, and so you have yeah, these kind of stick in it, like 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 um um Seminoles, like you know that that was a name given, and then it just stuck. Now they actually got a tribe called Seminoles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, so it just plays out like that. You know what I mean? So right, a lot of a lot of uh, yeah. To, in today's time, a lot of that has happened. A lot of that, a lot of that has transpired, but. Yeah, they refer to those endonymic versus exonymic names. So endonymic meaning self-named and exonymic meaning named by others. And so a lot of people around the world, populations are known by exonymic names. But they, they usually, if they have an exonymic name, they usually have an endonymic name as well. That's just not as popular. Like Sudan. Right, yeah, right. Sudan is, is an exonymic um, label you know people what does Sudan mean well they say the land of blacks you know yeah, that's what but I mean it makes no sense that if you live around all black people what we consider black like why would you point yourself out as being black if everybody around you is black <laughs> yeah that whole argument actually was based it was it's literally like a logic um argument really because but then everybody wanted to bring in the linguistics um all kinds of tools into it that is just unnecessary because it's just logic like you can say people name themselves that i mean um obviously like they never they, that name was never used to name that place so if you say so you'd probably have to explain you know where those people were or who lived in that place before they know to realize that they were black enough enough to name the country that at that particular point and all that stuff and like you say you have to explain all the things like what about the other people around you know you know in, in and you know outside of their borders you know and all that kind of stuff so it's just to me the whole argument made me realize that that not everybody who is educated is actually logically sound like sometimes some people are educated but they cannot they don't know how to use just logic just to reason properly yeah it's just it's just something we got we got to get over hopefully the faster we get over it the better the more advanced we could be to argue whether the egyptians are black or not in 2021 is is really a setback it's to set us back you know yeah. until unless you find a photo <laughs> like this it's pointless <laughs> <laughs> it's pointless you know what i'm saying yeah, it's all, it's, yeah. It, is. it is it's like arguing i mean i mean me personally when i hear people argue about it the way it sounds to me is to listen to people argue whether water is wet i i mean i really that's how just crazy it sounds to me because i'm like if they were or weren't then what like if if i just give it to them Whoever I'm talking to, I, I could talk to a person who believes that the Egyptians were not black or considered black. I could talk to a person who believe they were. It don't matter. So I, I can adjust to either one. I'm like, OK, OK, they're black. I get that to you. Now what? And I talk to a person who don't believe. I'm like, all right, they weren't. All right. Now what? It's like, man, they, they, they really have nothing else to offer a conversation because they st stuck so hard on that. They never even try to tap into the genius of ancient Egypt. The basic things I mentioned in tonight 
about the afterlife. People are so fascinated about the afterlife and whether Egyptians believed in one and spooked out, never realizing that the afterlife as simple is, is simple as memory and, and it's, it's a global thing. And, and the Egyptians styled it in such a way that it's genius. Everybody got different concepts of what, like, like you give me one explanation, right? And then I can go get a book on Egypt and it'll give a total, totally different, it might give a different representation of what you said. Yeah, but that, but that's why when I was saying it earlier, like this this conversation really needs to be a very like a series of talks on this one subject. So I, I wanted to make that clear to everybody when I was talking, saying what I was saying. That's why I said everything I'm saying, I could back up like I can literally take an hour to back every point that I'm making. Like I can show text. I just see it done like after text on like a a like text. on like you know what I'm saying like a large scale like you know what I'm saying with with all the different minds and like and here's the you know what I mean and everybody already at point. Here's a contention about uh about the spiritual understanding of afterlife. You know what I'm saying? And it be hammered out like like how um it's gonna happen like UNESCO. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's gonna, yeah. it's gonna, it's gonna happen. The reason why it hasn't happened yet, like how you described, which, which would be a good thing, is because, because of what we talked about before. Too many people are arguing over different things and not even getting to the level of of having that kind of conversation yet, because, because it's one thing. Like for example, you have a text called Amduat, right, and that means that which is in the Duat. Okay, that text alone. First, people have to get a proper translation of, of what they're looking at and reading. Then they have to take that translation and then go under the hood and try to identify the realities of everything it's referring to, like the reality. So what, and what I mean by that is if, if, I, if, I see, um, like if I see something written in a foreign language to me, I first have to translate what it says on paper and so let's say there there's a there's a sentence on on paper in a foreign language and i finally work it out to translate it in my language and what it says in my language is i got butterflies in my stomach so so it took me five years to learn how to do that and so now i have i have it at that point here's a foreign sentence now i know what it says in my language i have butterflies in my stomach that's where everybody stops. But what it is now, I got to take it and say, well, what does that mean? Like, what is the reality behind that statement now? Is it literal? Did people really believe butterflies fly around in their stomachs or does it represent something else? And then I'll take me another time to figure out, oh, man, they're talking about nervousness. So the whole thing is nervousness, not literally butterflies flying around the stomach, although that's what the text is saying. In, in the wording, but that's not the meaning behind it. And so, so that's what that's what I'm saying, that a lot of people are are so far behind on just dealing with what the text is is doing on the surface. They're not even trying to get to the realities behind these things. Yeah, well, and so that's back. so that's why you don't see that that kind of level of arguments going on right now. But like I said, 
I'm I'm pushing it by by saying what I'm saying right now. I'm telling people that ancestral veneration is not what people think. That that traditions and culture are two different things. And that all these people who want to get into ancestral veneration, traditions and stuff, they don't know what they 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 really don't know what it's really about. I'm saying that to spark the conversation. Cause because when we have the conversation, then I got questions and we're gonna we're gonna really get under the hood and tap into that logic. And people are gonna see how how inconsistent logic they have or how consistent the logic is, either or. Hey, would, y'all, would you do a uh, would you do like a sit down with like with, with Jabari? Yeah, I don't mind talking to Jabari. Yeah, I like I would like to see y'all like dialogue or something. You know what I mean? Like we had we um we had a brief exchange online um on the topic of comedic yoga before. How that go, like what was the um how that go like what was the um. Like your perspective was what, and his perspective, his, his perspective was what. I mean, I know his perspective. Your perspective was is what. Well, well, I did it. Well, it it was it was on a presentation that I did. So I I did a whole presentation on comedic yoga, right? And his perspective was different than mine, but we never really, like, uh, uh, you know, we never really teased out the whole conversation. It was it was kind of like a couple of exchanges. And his his one of his um, colleagues, Yasir, brother named Yasir, who is who is a um, comedic yoga, a prominent person in, in the whole comedic yoga, um, you know, group of people. Um, and he has retreats and stuff like that. That's both of them was was on my comment section of my presentation. And he definitely took it to the left. I'm talking about Yasir, not Jabari, but Yasir. And so Jabari was kind of backing him up a bit um and i'm gonna find it it's, it's on facebook i'm gonna find it but anyway in a nutshell um what i was pointing out was that <clears throat> comedic yoga in and of itself has its benefits the people who are into that and perform comedic yoga as a whole there's a lot of benefits with it and, and whatnot what i was pointing out was that the positions the postures that comedic yoga practitioners perform None of those positions are historical ancient positions that the Egyptians did, period. And so they disagreed. And so what I was saying was that it would be better to say your, your modern poses you do is inspired by the Egyptian artwork, but not things that the Egyptians themselves did. And so his point was that that's what they did. <laughs> and I'm like, no. Go ahead, go ahead, fam. No, nah, I just saying good luck running that by them because they take that literally. Right. And so, so, and so Jabari, so, you know, I had a, a, a dialogue with him a bit about that. And so I don't, I wouldn't mind sitting with him on any of these, on any of these topics or, you know, having an exchange with him on any of these topics. Um, That one included the afterlife. Yeah, I like to see this one is not combative. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Then you because you get more out of the conversation than when it's just a, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, he was trying to knock each other's head in. You know, you yeah. don't know what you're talking about. You're you're an idiot. You know what I'm saying? It's better when it's a dialogue and you can just exactly. Can yeah, yeah. Nah, I don't. I don't mind. I don't. I don't do those platforms because the platforms are built off of what you just said. 
So I don't do that. Yeah. I but like I, I would I would I wouldn't mind it at all. And in fact, between Jabari and Yasir, Yasir came on my post uh talking out the side of his neck. Jabari came more professional and and level, definitely much more level headed and everything. The other brother um did not. Cause he was he was defensive and 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 offended by my presentation, um, which I understand, but it doesn't excuse his his stance or or anything at all. So you know I don't I don't care how old a person is if they act like a child they act like a child immature they immature, but um, but he couldn't refute. See this is the thing, you can talk all that talk, but if you can't refute. And show the error in logic and premise and, and all the logical um, um, outbuild from, from these premises and things like that, then you have nothing to stand on. And you could just talk to yourself. That's how I feel. I'm like, you, you know, say that noise over there. But they don't understand. So what I explained was the difference between perspective and aspective art. And I just showed it. I could show it right now in, in, in 60 seconds. I could, I could show one picture and prove the point. That's how easy it is. I can show, like, why do ancient Egyptian figures have two left hands or two right hands, two of the same hands in the, in the, in the figures? Because they're not drawing it from a perspective art style. It's aspective. And people don't even know what aspective art is. So I had to introduce that and explain that. You know, that's how the ancient Egyptian artisans represented things in aspective. And that's a very widespread African cons, uh, method. It's, it's the European uh, communities that dealt with perspective, where you draw something from your point of view, literally the angles and everything, whereas aspective is you, you bring out the important points of what you see and, and you're not drawing them to their right, to their correct angles and things like that. And that's what Egyptian art uh, represents. And I actually, you know, showed that all the time. I mean, it's on a, it's on the presentation, but I'm going to pull I'm going to pull up. I'm gonna pull up something right now just to show, just to show you all a perfect example. Let me see if I can find something real quick. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't want to open up that old present that the whole presentation. But I think I have a picture, and I and I happen not to on here. I thought I had something I could just get real quick. Um, man. Okay, I don't see something I have right now real quick. Are you looking up something? Nah, yeah, I'm 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 I'm, I'm I want to see if I had any any of those images that I could show real quick that I use in the presentation. I'm, I if I pull the presentation, obviously I have all the um slides in there. Okay. I thought I, I thought I had something real quick, and I do not. So, another time. But yeah, yeah, y'all, y'all talk. I, I, I pull it up if y'all want to see it. Nah, now nah, I want to ask you something. Oh, go ahead. Um, about back to the afterlife. Um, can you explain the uh, the negative confessions? Because I heard people talking, saying that that explains the uh, afterlife. As yeah, in, okay. you know being resurrection and all that yeah um well like i said nobody's expecting anybody to come out out of the grave 
but um, in terms of resurrection, but the negative confessions, I mean, people call it that, but, but more, it's more, I guess it would be better, the lesser of two evils to say declarations of innocence. And like I said, that's a psychoanalytical tool for people to evaluate the content of their mind. And it's based on the cultural standards that we would call taboos versus uh, non-taboos or morals within the culture, anchored in the culture. And, and this is very cultural specific because the moral st standards differ from culture to culture. And you can just look at modern, um, in modern times, you know, you just see it everywhere. Like I, I use, early I used United States and China. But the point is, is that you are taking the standard that you're anchored to. Remember, you are a, a member of a nation and your oath, this, this tacit agreement that you have with your, with your nation produces your na nationality. And, and as a member of this nation, you grow and you're cultivated to behave and think a certain way based on standards within the culture at large. And so your judgment of good and bad things or activities or behaviors, whether you should do something or should not do something, is also going to be rooted in your cultural standards. And so if you violate those cultural standards, you, you know, you, 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 you would dope. know that. <laughs> you right. Mm. And so, and so, and so this is a psycho, psycho, meaning psych, psyche, dealing with the mind, um, analytical tool, meaning you analyze your own mind based on now, when you, when you judge something implied in the word judgment or the act of judging, which is synonymous with weighing, like to weigh something is to, is to discern discernment weighing and judgment they're all synonyms basically and so in order to weigh something you have to have some kind of comparative thing some some standard you know and <laughs> that standard it, that you're using is identified by and Kemet will be identified by that feather that's on the scale and so that's the standard that, that you're weighing the content of your mind against. So it's it's just like it's basically just like the laws of mind. Well, I'm, I'm saying those 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 declarations of innocence that's become popular, the 42 so-called declarations of innocence mm -hmm. or negative confessions that people say, um, is is the popular standard but there's more than that but i'm saying the 42 are are popularly known and so they so people say okay well those 42 um are the standards by which people weigh their con their own contents of their mind with and their behavior and in, in the christianity or an abrahamic belief system they have 613 um commandments narrowed down to 10 uh, when by the time you get to moses and and those tablets of 10 and then by the time you get to Jesus, is one or two. Love thy God, the Lord, with all thy heart, and love your neighbor as you would love yourself, or something like that. And so, and so, and so they simplified all of it. But my point, though, is that in every culture, there's going to be a standard by which you are judged. 
but but you're the one doing the judging. Then you you have public policy, you have public laws and stuff like that. But then you have those those other laws by which you judge yourself. And and if by judging yourself, see, here's the thing. <laughs> okay, let me ask y'all this. Let's let's. I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna say the word guilt. What does guilt depend on? Your mind and your heart. How you feel about things that you you did or done? Right. So. So. Like it's like this, you you will never feel guilty about something that you are totally oblivious to. So guilt is is guilt has to guilt is is um has a requirement or prerequisite guilt comes after something and 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 so you have to have some things in you first in order to even feel any guilt for anything just like death say it again awareness you have to be aware of what what it is yeah not not only aware but you have to log it into your mind as something that should not be done. Yeah. To feel guilty if you did it. So it's like it's like death. If if like in the, the way the Bible, the way the Bible, excuse me, the way the Bible tells a story is that Adam was the first man and then the woman came out of his rib. They were the first two people on the planet or first two humans that God created, according to the general story. Right. So when Adam and Eve were alive, there was no such thing as human death. Matter of fact, there was no death when Adam and Eve were created. So would it make any sense to threaten them with death if they never knew anything about death? It makes no sense because the threat wouldn't work. It, it, it yeah, just... It, it would not work. Say it again. No, it, if they were living, I mean, they would have to know about death. If they're the first people, quote unquote, I don't believe that story, but there would have to be some kind of, I, I just, I, I ain't buying There would have to be some kind of death, some kind of threat, something. No, but that's the point. That's That's what I'm saying. If if they had no knowledge of death, then you can't threaten like, OK, I'm, let me give you let me give you a, a more a more um, in your face example. Can you threaten and, and nobody would ever do this? Hopefully nobody would ever, ever do this. I'm just going to use it for for example purposes. Could a a an infant baby that's like a couple of months old ever be threatened by a firearm? A gun. The answer is no, because the baby has the baby has no idea of what the gun does or can do or whatever the case is. So you can't you can't rob a baby. Even if the baby had a million dollars in his diapers, you cannot rob a baby because the baby would not be compelled to give you that money. Because it has no idea of the of the object that you're pointing at, at it is dangerous. So what I'm saying is that you have to first be 
have things in you in order to feel a way about it. So I'm saying guilt is based on something that's already in you. And so when 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 the Egyptians in this judgment scene talk about guilt, this animal eating or this psychoanalytical tool, it is based on the root within the culture, the standard. And that is representative uh, represented by this feather that people see on the scale pan. The scale. They say the laws of Ma'at. But these are not laws that are like public policies and stuff like that. These are things that are inculcated in you. They have to be in you. In order for you to feel guilt or not, or in order for you to properly weigh, like, like how are you going to weigh anything? If they're not in you. So again, those 42 so-called um, negative conf uh, confessions that people say, but the declarations of innocence are, are those things that are in you that serves as a standard by which you judge your, the content of your mind and your words and your behavior. All of those pose a matchup and line up. And when they don't, you feel a sense of guilt. And that guilt is what eats you up, which is represented by that animal. Uh, I'm a myth that, I, that I've been showing on my on my screen. This uh, I thought I was showing on my screen the whole time. Amit or Amamit is that amalgamated animal, crocodile, lion, and hippopotamus. It's a female um, deity, and she represents guilt. Because if your mind is heavier than the standard by which you, you compare it to, you're going to feel guilty. That is what this is talking about and illustrating and showing. There's more to it, but I'm saying I'm just keeping it very simple as I can. But that's what's going on. There's nothing spooky about what you're looking at. At all, because you go through it right now. You go through it right now. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if if you if you're somewhere out and about you at a restaurant. And somebody's sitting at a table across from you, a couple, and a guy sitting in a chair and out of his pocket falls a whole big wad of money. And right. And at that moment, you behind on some on your bills, your rent is due and you see it fall and you don't pick it up and give it to him. You like, oh, man. And then they get up and leave. You pick that money up. You pick that money up and use it. And then come find out a week later. The guy commits suicide because that money really wasn't his. It was somebody else's money. And he felt so bad he committed suicide for losing the money when you could have given it to him and kept him alive. You may feel a little guilty about that. You'd be like, oh, dang, I ain't know it was going to be like that. You know, I'm just, I'm just I just pulled that example out, out of the crib. Dude. <laughs> no, like, don't be tripping. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know. I know. So people, people like salsa be like, man, hey, hey, better. Yeah, like, you could have borrowed some cash, like you. Know I'd have been like, I done paid my dude. Hey, like, hey, he was gonna do that anyway. You know what I'm saying? If he, if he did it for that, yeah, he was already on the brink. 
Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be see, hold up, wait, wait. Listen, listen, I'm glad you I'm glad you did that because I know I know we having fun with that, but but that's a real that's a real th- coping mechanism. See, and I'm glad yeah, you yeah, brought that idea was like, oh, that's why that's why I said that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Because rationalize that and make it make sense. Exactly. So psychologically, what you're doing, like in, in the Egyptian sense, what you're doing is you're fighting the beast by by creating that rationale in your mind. Like, oh man, he he was he was on his verge of committing suicide anyway. So I'm I'm still good. I'm good, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's that war that you have. But I'm telling you, this 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 scene that I'm showing is a psychoanalytical tool. Period. And that's what people have to understand. It's 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 not a popular thing to discuss in that way because everybody wants to make this spooky so they can have a lot to talk about and pretend that it's it's spooky and especially Hebrew Hebrews will look at this and be like, oh man, the Egyptians. Are, if y'all talk about the Bible, then what about this, the Book of the Dead? And no, you know, get into all that silliness. It's not really spooky if they're applying it today. Yeah, you know, I mean it happens today. It happens, every, it happens it happens every day in everyday life to everybody. Somebody feels guilty for something, even even if you have a differences of of standards. Like like you could have a person that grew up on the streets, like straight up street person, straight up, you know, don't care about anything. There is something in their world that they're gonna have this this attachment of feeling to it may not be the same as yours or like the most people but it's going to be something you're going to find something you're going to find something even even among like even like you know there's there's cliches there's honor among thieves so mm-hmm. even though there's different thieves even in thiefdom there are standards you know what i'm saying that you don't cross even even among the mafia the mm-hmm. criminal the criminal organizations, even though they're criminal or they may do something that other people may not like, but among them, they have standards. Like code of conduct. Yeah, codes of conduct and standards. Exactly. You know, even though overall what they do may may not be liked by the by the general population, but they have standards. Even gangs have standards. And so these standards would would if we were to go back in time, the standard would be the feather and then how they feel about it and analyzing of their mind and behavior and their words and deeds will represent by that that ib, that heart right there. And they will feel guilty. So if if a mafia person knows in, in that mafia culture that you cannot touch a made man, but yet you do something to a made man then you're going to, you know, you're going to be like, oh, snap. Or, or, or to, or to a, um, a, parent, a mother of somebody who had nothing to do for anything, but you, you know, you did something to somebody's wife or, or girlfriend or daughter or something like that, man, it's going to mess you up. Even in that culture, even in that lifestyle. So anyway, that's, that's what it is. So, um, but, you know, like I said, different people like Sosa, you brought up a good point. 
a lot of people will explain these same things differently, same way, like how the Bible, you got different pastors that will explain the book of Matthew differently from each other. So I get it, but there has to be a point, even, even within Christianity and stuff, there, there's a scholarly area of discussions where that may not readily translate in real time to the general conversations. So, so this is what we have to create here with, with everything dealing with Kemet, we have to create that environment where these kinds of discussions are actually happening without the noise. So that, so that we can, you know, so we can make progress and get to the, get to the nitty gritty of these, these things. So when you hear people call white people Tamahu, that has to go. Now, I know Jabari is one of the people that use the word Tamahu for white people. And I did a whole show on that. That's just wrong. Tamahu is not the word Egyptians use for white people. The word Tamahu or Tamehu are Egyptians themselves. And even if they're trying, even if it's a mispronunciation of uh, Chamehu, those are Libyans. There's two, there's two major groups of Libyans, the Chamehu and the Chahinu. And then there's a group of Egyptians from the Delta area called Tamehu. Ta 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 That's just it. Or the Mehetiu, more properly known as Mehetiu, which would be the Northerners, but they're still Egyptians. And so what, what anybody who's saying that that's white people, what they're saying is that Egyptians were white. But if you ask them straight out, do you believe the Egyptians are white? They'll say no. But they'll use a word for Egyptians and say it means white people. And it, and it just doesn't. The Mehetiu or the Tamehu, the word Mehu comes from the word that means submerge. There's a crocodile deity called Mehu. And the, the, the crocodile deity is so named because the crocodile submerges itself below the water. And so the whole concept of Mehu is it means submerge or, or in the case of geography, it means sea level which is what the delta was. And that's, and that's another way of saying lower Egypt. Lower in altitude, it means that it's sea level and not in the elevated altitude, which we call upper Kemet. Lower Kemet, upper Kemet. So the Mehetiu or the Tamehu are lower Egyptians. It's just that simple. The Tashin. Um, okay, so you're right there on the upper and lower. Okay, so so is it one perspective I've been hearing is that the notion that the upper and lower was like um you know the whether whether it be the north, the north be the south, south be the north, like one one area held your more um sub-Saharan component, and then the other region contain more of the uh your um Levantian Middle Eastern component. Do you find like um accuracy in that or do you think that's just all fallacious? No, I mean that's 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 like a natural um result. That's a natural consequence of geographic 
location. So Upper Kemet, so first let's let me just under, get an understanding that Upper Kemet and Lower Kemet deals with terrain altitude. Yeah. So so it's not north and south on the map. So the southern part of Egypt obviously is bordered with modern day Sudan, and so mm-hmm. that would be closer to what has been demarcated as sub-Sahara Africa, whereas North Egypt itself is considered North Africa. Like the whole country, the whole country of Egypt now is considered North Africa. So obviously its Southern portions are closer to what's now called sub-Sahara Africa. And the proximity, we remember they didn't have planes and, and trains and automobiles so they they did everything on foot or by uh, boats and things. And so it was everything that was um, adjacent. So any contact with a foreign um, neighbor would be whatever's close, pro- as close as proximity. So the northern Egyptians closer proximity of any external interaction would be the people coming from the Middle East. And obviously the southern Egyptians closest neighbor would be the people south of Egypt. So that's just yeah, a natural and upper and upper and lower, they were um they were still fluid though, right? It wasn't it wasn't necessarily North Carolina, South Carolina. No, well how they, how they operated, you know what I'm saying? Well, not nah, actually it is more like that, but it's bigger, it's regions. So like I, I wouldn't say state. But I, I was yeah. Say, I'm just trying to give an example of you know what I mean just split. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm yeah. saying so. So I'm I'm saying to use your example, it is kind of like that because, um, the no, lower Kemet was Tamehu, and then southern Kemet or upper Kemet was Tashimau, and they did they made that distinction. They they the Egyptians themselves make made a distinction between the two regions. Because it produced a different environment physically, like in the geography and their in their in their physical environment was different. One was swampy, had access to a lot of water, it was at sea level, and so on and so forth. And then the other one was very narrow. It was a valley surrounded by a desert and hills and not a lot of water until the now flooded itself. And so that lifestyle and everything like that and the proximity of of the seeding of people and that interaction did produce two different regions. But like the United States is 50 states as one confederacy called the, the, the United States, the Egypt did the same thing. You have 42 gnomes or sapat or, uh, or sapwet as they would say it, um, com- combining, you had 21, you had 20 and 22, um, in their respective regions, and they all united. They they recognized a confederacy, and that was called Simatawi. But but they they did, and and there and there's traces of two, at the very least, two prominent languages. Um, that come out of that. So so there so there's evidence that that there was two major regions that were distinct enough. To be held as two, and that, and that's why they called the country Tawi. They never, they never even, they never used a word. Um, why well, I said never, but they named the country a word that that kept up the du- the du- the two the duality. 
was the um, chief uh, Netaru the same, or would it be different in in, in upper and lower? Or, or uh, didn't matter, or it would, it would fluctuate? Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like if it did fluctuate, would it be due to tension, or would it or would it still be you know a fluid? Now, now that now you know every gnome had had its had its local deity or deities, and then you have layers. So you had the the more confederacy, the united pantheons. Then you had your yeah. local ones that that are not as popular. And so, like like the main ones, Atum, Ra, Heru, Usir, Aset, and all that, they pretty much flew it throughout the whole kingdom. But then you had ones that are more localized. All right. Okay. Where, where does best come? Where does best come in at? Um, best. You don't see much of best throughout the entire three thousand years. Like he where did it come from, nigga. Like, I remember, like chief used to be like, "I'm um, best reincarnated." That's what we like Egypt. Like where did <laughs> like where did that come from, though? Yeah, I don't. I I. That's a good question because best is not um one of those ones that that people look into a lot or study or even talk about a lot but when when mentioned he, you know he becomes a whole conversation piece because best is reflected in a frontal uh depiction not in the profile like like all the others um similar like het heru in her um cow form with this whole full face um but bet it best is a little um is a little is interesting because best may not may not may not be an original uh comedic deity like you know coined and, and conceived. Yeah. <laughs> Plus by being a dwarf, but best was used as a, a protector um in childbirth. Um and then it, then it, then the way that they depict best with the with the tongue out and full frontal face and it being a dwarf or short and stuff like that it's interesting with the leopard skin all these other kinds of things so that 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 that's interesting but but i i couldn't have a full on um intelligent conversation about best so i would i would defer that to to somebody else yeah cuz i never heard anybody talk about best <laughs> it's like i only know about it through like yeah, years and that's including that's including me. So that's why I, I don't I don't touch on Bessie. When somebody bring up Bess, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't yeah, I don't, I don't, really, I don't really touch on Bess, but I'm fascinated. So I, I may, I may um I may do the knowledge on Bess. And I meant to Bess, see Bess and Tawaret and Het Heru and and these old these these like kind of on the outskirt type deities. They're very, very fascinating. And, and, you know, I don't like to talk about them until, until I do my due diligence. For sure. Yep. So I'm just familiar with Beth, but not, not, not to the extent where I, I'll talk about it. You talk about all the others. I'm, I'm good. Even Satuk, how does Satuk become this evil deity? You know what I'm saying? Like what kicked that off? Like Why? <laughs> all that see i'm ready I, I stay ready on on all that but but best yeah. now but when they saw when they had the different the different local it never it never was an issue like you ain't see uh like i don't know the name but like so-and-so beefy with like like one one got set and the other one got somebody else and there's an issue 
what I'm saying? Like it would, it didn't nah. go down like that. Nah, not 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 really. Not really at all. Because yeah, I mean, once we understand what the deities were to them, then then you know you you'll kind of understand why they wouldn't have any conflict. Like there wouldn't be too many conflicts of the gods. Now I'm not saying there there were never any, but it wasn't prominent like that. Yeah. It, it, it definitely wasn't prominent like that. There are certain ones that that would not like they they were respected in their in their areas. Now, just like just like today, if a, if a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door, you mess around, just slam the door and be like, I I'm not having that in here. Um, but yeah, that's like, pro- got- proselytization. I'm saying the idea of trying to um, proselytize and stuff was not something that was that was done like that. So like, so like, what about the Agnat situation? Like, like what kicked that off to where it was, you know, like basically like Haram, you know what I'm saying? Like it was, you know what I'm saying? And what he did was so controversial. And you know what I mean? Like what kicked that off to where it was that much of an issue? When he was- man, that's a whole, man, that's a whole series of shows right there because Akhenaten's <laughs> situation, and I'm not exaggerating, Akhenaten's situation is layered into into administrative um conflicts political what we would call today political um things and ideological so it's it's multi-layered in, in that you know so there was a lot going on like you know i don't know people kind of realize what was actually going on in akhenaten ak in aten's um time period and why the switch because remember he wanted to move the capital to Armana. And then as soon as he let leaves the scene, they move it right back. So that yeah. was a blip. That was a blip in a lot of things. He he was he was doing things that that touched on a lot of different layers of the society and stuff. And and it caused a lot of stirring the pot. Um a so whole lot. Like- so would that be like first evidence of like a like more of a, a, a trying to and 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 put a totalitarian type rule to where you know it was restricting the choice of its citizens and you know what I mean? Um, nah, like I said, it, it's more so like um administrative political conflicts, serious conflicts, you know. Um, and I'm trying to think of a comparison today. It's like, you know, Democrats versus Republicans. And then, you know, we we follow that, but we're not directly, uh, um, you know, affected by it directly, but indirectly we are that type of thing where it and it happened. It happened with the um, priesthood of Amen, the Amen priest priesthood and stuff when when they got powerful, you got to understand. And, and see, that's what I say. It's a whole long conversation. But even the idea of priest itself is 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 highly misunderstood because a priest, the words in Egypt, the Egyptian words that's translated as priest, is is several different words, but they're all translated as priest. So we think priest, like priest, priest, but they're not just priests. They're not priests. These are people with important jobs. And today, if I had to if I had to retranslate the word what people are translating as priest, I would say essential worker. Because in today's vernacular, we understand what an essential worker, especially during the pandemic, an essential worker 
is a person who does a job in such a way that that the community depends on that job. And so you become an essential worker. So even during a pandemic, you still have to do your job. And so a priest in Kemet was essential workers. And their jobs, a lot of people depended on and relied upon and stuff like that. They were very important. So these are people with very, very important jobs. And there's, and there's different functions. So you had different kinds of priests. But when we, when we talk about it, we translated all as priests. Like a wab. People say wab priest. Sim priest. But the word sim doesn't mean priest. And wab doesn't mean priest. <laughs> it, it just doesn't. Wab, wab is a word that means to clean. It's like a janitor. <laughs> but we, we translate, we say a priest. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. Plus, the further you go back, you know, folks didn't just have like one main occupation. Oh, and that's, yeah, that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a good point because the so-called priest were seasonal. They would, they would do their, their important function as a quote unquote priest for let's say two months and then out of the year and then the rest of the year they 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 do their so-called secular work in farming or whatever and so they so they had to punch a clock seasonally and so a priest wasn't always a priest now there was some priest like you had the high priest the highest priest is the king um him f or his majesty uh um him nature uh the high priest and you have different layers you under that you got to be on deck yeah, yeah, you got to be accessible to the king at all times. Yeah, so that's exactly. a little different. The the, the king was known as um, Ediket, which means which means the doer of things, literally. But that doesn't mean that literally. What it means is is the person um, who was in charge of rituals, Ediket, which was a person who was in charge of, of rituals, but they call it doing the doer, the doer of things or the practitioner of things. And those things were the rituals. And a king was always the king. There was no time off on that. And, and so, um, but I'm saying, I, I, what, I, what I was, what I was, what brought that up is I was talking about the I'm, I'm in priesthood and stuff. These are people, it's almost like the union in the United States where it becomes so powerful that where one uh, one or a small group of people can control the union of workers and and their work is a society type of job. So let's say let's say the entire electric electricity company workers just decided to strike. They're like I'm not going to work. That means the whole United States will be crippled in 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 electricity and power. If these workers were to just walk off the job and imagine if one or small group of people controlled their behavior and convinced them to strike or to do something, can't have that. So, 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 I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a kind of rough example, but I'm saying in, in ancient times, you had people that had very important jobs and they could get persuaded or or controlled by a very small group of people whether we want to say elite or not and that was a danger and so that was rebutted or or you know resisted and so you have the Amun priesthood and these other priesthood that that reflected a, a little bit like what i'm saying 
And that's what people have to understand. So it's, it's not always about, see, the, the gods mess it all up. When you say I'm in priesthood, well, I'm in is a God. So and then people don't think about it, what, what I just said, like nobody, people wouldn't really think of it as a union strike. Of, of workers that that the kingdom depended on. And 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 the the the, fair, the king is not having that. How are you going to usurp my authority as king? And you are a priesthood. And so that's where the battle between kings and then the Amun priesthood, where, where, the, where the power, you know, the shift in power. And some of that caused the intermediate, you know, during the intermediate period, we have the eternal, the eternal fighting and arguing. With the uh, priesthood and the. Um... And the king, you know, certain, yeah. certain aspects of, of, king, of this to the kingship and the, and the priesthood. So much so to the point where, you know, Rumor has it some kings were taken out. Tunak Amun, right. I ain't gonna point no fingers, but Tunak King Tut, uh, you know the scandals that that we hear about some of the kings, like Ho King Horemheb, and I and I, who came you know after King Tut and stuff. There's some controversy right there. Because remember, hey, King, King Tut comes after Ankenaten. Good. One more thing, a um, little, little different switch. Um, the in, uh, incest. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> Sorry. Oh shucks. Yeah, go ahead. It don't make. Yeah, go. Ahead. <laughs> yeah, like no, no, that, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. That, that's what I yeah. was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of like so. So that like the the king married the queen. It was sometimes ceremony, but also like didn't they also find there was some actual ancestral relationships yeah they say that yep some some uh incest incest um things going on so was there's it, arguments was it, was it was it was it was it status quo or was it or you see it was a more of an anomaly like you know what I'm saying? sometimes it, you know what i'm saying most of sometimes it was this but most of the time it, it wasn't yeah any existence of that was not the um prominent thing Nah, but but it's more of a um how kingship was passed on, and matter of fact, um people in southern Egypt to this day they they do that. Um, the people that call themselves Nubians today in the Nubian village of southern uh, Egypt right now to live near Aswan and stuff, they intermarry because because they in their culture their their view is if they don't do it. They're gonna um, they're gonna breed out of existence, and so within within their group, they marry um, very closely related people, first cousins and and brothers and sisters or whatever. And so, without, and so it's without any respect to the gene, genetic pool, like there's no. Yeah, it does. Over time, it does definitely. Okay. Yeah, it, it definitely does. Because it's too too close, um, they call it cinnamorgans, um, are so high that it 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 messes the gene pool up, and then it produces um, the chances of these different traits showing up, and it produces these different defects and stuff. That's why they say two uh, two ton Uncle Moon. Uh, they say his ankle was you know kind of you know lame or whatever they want to call it, but. 
I was only just, uh, I don't want nobody to get me wrong. I wasn't coming up in here with the spirit of, of uh, arrogance or anything, but that was a question I would ask just based on how we started out the whole conversation and sticking to the topic. Well, yeah, well, no, nah, that's, that's, um, no, I mean, nobody can avoid that. That's, that's, you know, there's, there's people that, um, show that or, you know, talk about that incest, but then there's some things misunderstood as incest because, you know, of how the word and how the language is being interpreted. We have the word for sister and wife being used interchangeably, and they, and people think that the wives are their actual sisters and stuff. So there's things fall on the both sides of that sword. Even even with men, you got brothers, and people think that they're gay, and I'm like, man, that's it's just wrong. Wrong is all outdoors. The word, the word, because here's a play on the word. The word, the word for the nose is sin. The word to um, kiss is sin. The word for brother is sin. The word number two is sin. And so there's a play on these words because your brother or your sister, the sister is a feminine form of the word sin. Sin is sibling. Masculine is brother. Feminine to be sister. But it comes from the word sin, like why sin one and two is a double. And so your brother was actually seen as another you. And we even use that semantics today as well. When, when we call each other brothers and sisters, we're supposed to see my fellow brother as myself. Therefore, I'm going to treat him as I would want to be treated myself. That's supposed to be how it goes, but we don't do that. But that's how it was back then. Your brother was another you, was the other you coming from a, um, a parentage. And so out of the parents... I'm born and then another one is born and that's my sin, which means sibling, which means second. <laughs> then it just supports what you've been saying because uh, you were speaking on a topic like this, but you said we use the word bro or brother, but we don't really mean it. You know what I'm saying? So, yep. You always, you always make a full circle in your conversation. You know, and that to me that just shows a consistency. You know, well, it's, it's, it's connected. You know, it's it's connected. We we take a lot of things for granted today, and we don't realize how much of the things we do today that are very very ancient, but it's just expressed differently. But because the form has changed so drastically, we don't recognize it. We don't we don't recognize we do the same thing. Like, like, you know, I gave a couple examples already, you know, of things that we still do. And that's just it. Like, you know, I gave the example of, um, of that one, you know, the brother sister thing. And it's, it's a, it's a couple of things that we, oh, like I was saying, okay, for example, the, 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 the idea, the idea of, of pursuing knowledge is, a downward is a downward in, in, in terms of spatial proximity, the pursuit, the pursuit of knowledge is a downward movement. And I hope y'all know what I mean by that. Um, everything that we express to really, really know something is always down. 
So we say, ah, oh, man, that's deep. And the word deep is something down. And we'll say, man, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to find out the truth. I'm going to get to the bottom of it. See, that's going down. Or man, um, I understand where you understand. So you're standing under the issue to see under it. Then you say, I'm going to get to the heart of the matter. I'm going to get to the nitty gritty. You know, so, so the pursuit of knowledge is a downward movement. And it's been that way in the human psyche for a long time. And so in ancient Kemet, they expressed it. And in modern day, we express it right now. But if you don't know the different forms and how to connect the dots, you will never think that we do the exact same thing the ancient Egyptians did. You would never think that. You know? Sure. And that's, that's just... And I, you know, I can go through a whole lot of examples. Um, that's why the word for heart, Ib, is the essence of something. Get to the heart of it. Go down. We're to go down and investigate. Even in the Bible, when God wants to investigate stuff, he's always going down. And people interpret that as God being heaven and heaven is up. But that's, that language is the language of, hu of human psyche, period. Exactly. To find out something, you're going to get down and dirty. Yeah. They say drill down. Yep, I'm gonna drill down into it. Yep, drill down. Yeah, it's also there, and um, you know, in terms of psyche, um, uh, you make me sick. Uh, you know, yeah. to, to to bring about like because it that that type of um, it brings about that 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 gut visceral response, like when something actually makes you ill. Yeah, you know I'm saying, you know, I'm so I'm so mad I can vomit. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh man, I cringe. Like he make me throw up. Ah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. So so th these are these are long long lasting human psychological um, elements that a lot of cultures express, but in their language and in their way. But we we can match it up. And I and I and I will go as uh, far and say the whole idea of de deifying is global and it's long lasting and it's done today but it got hijacked by you know a prompt you know the abrahamic prominent systems to where it you you can't identify the the connections and stuff so it's like man god is this spook out there in heaven somewhere interfering with man's affairs but he never kills the devil he um he comes to earth as his own son to sacrifice himself to himself, to convince himself not to put people in hell, to forgive them from the original sin created by creatures he created. <laughs> it's just silly as all outdoors. Yeah, it's but complicated. That, yeah. <laughs> but that, that got hijacked. So now we don't even see the process of deification and what that was. And, and I'm going to tell you, just like writing didn't exist and they had to invent figurative expressions to, to survive and to transmit. Well, guess what? The process of deification served the same purpose. It has nothing to do with spooky stuff. It's just to identify what's important. It's a value system. And the most important thing in any uh, linear hierarchy is God is, is, is that God. So it's several. 
So the most important thing in any category is the God of that category. And so this is, this is taxonomy and ontology at its best. And that's how ancient, ancient peoples did it. Somewhere along the line, there was a major shift. There was a major, major shift. And now we don't see it that way. And I, and I blame it on the whole Abrahamic movement, the push, the conquering. Remember, that came around at a time of a lot of travel, conquering, and, every, and a lot of that. You know, from the from the from the from the um, Romans, Romans, the Roman Empire, these empires. I was going to ask, do you blame it on the Byzantine Empire? Well, <laughs> well, all all of that, like like when whenever you have whenever you have large conquering activities where empires are spreading out, where kingdoms turn into empires and they start to move and spread and conquer, you're going to have these major shifts, these paradigm shifts. Those are the moments of of major shifts. And so the Byzantine, the Persians, the whole Arab conquest and all these things, the Crusades, even slavery, the transatlantic slave trade is, is a major empire-ish movement. From the Papas Bulls to, to, to the, 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 the results of slavery, all that stuff. These are major paradigm shifts. And all we got to do is just trace it back, connect the dots, and we'll see what changed. And then we have to properly look at, at everything in its proper context. And, and so it's really, really hard with the whole God concept and anything associated with religion. Because what's religion today wasn't religion in ancient times. It was actually science, but expressed figuratively. You know? If I if I want to science if today if I want to scientifically describe thunder and lightning and what causes it, I'm not going to use figurative language to do it. I'm just going to tell you that the barometric pressure is this and the and the temperature and the and, and whatever. I'm just going to tell you electricity in the cloud builds up and the, the atmosphere does this and the spark of lightning, and then you hear the sound. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it in a in a certain way today. But in ancient times, they would explain the same thing, but in a figurative way. And if you don't know better, you're going to think the figurative way is what they thought literally. And, and you got stupid, crazy stuff like the devil beating his wife is the cause, the cause of thunder and lightning. Yeah. No, they say when the, the sun is shining and it's raining. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a fact. That was bad. That was Scarface scar rap. <laughs> yeah, when 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 rainbows, like people couldn't explain rainbows, and people people, man, but but think about this though. Imagine, imagine back in the day, the first volcano experience of of a population, because you know volcanoes and earthquakes happen periodically all throughout you know Earth's history. But there, there are periods of time where, where, where any given area, it doesn't experience it for so long that, that it goes out of the memory of that, of that group. And so when a new eruption happened or, or earthquake happens, they can't reach in the reservoir to explain it. So, so it becomes a new, a new unexplained phenomenon, and then they got to start over. Yeah, that's what I think. Uh, I think that's what happened in the Bible with... Uh, I, I forgot how the story goes, but uh, it's about the group of people who like 
God was on top of a mountain and they tried to go to that mountain and they catch on fire. You kind of sound like the Tower of Babel a little bit, but where they try to build a tower. I think it was in Gen. I mean, I think it was in Genesis. Yeah, Genesis 10, 11, Genesis 11. Probably. Boy, you 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 mixing up two different you you mixing up (laughs) uh, the 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 pillar of salt where the lady the lady turned back. Look at this. That's before that. Yeah, well, I saw one, but I think they said when you that people now they um they was telling not to look up to the mountain, and there was a God was there, and anyone who tried to get to that light or touch the light would burn or something like that. Um, not quite familiar with that one. But but you sound like it's close to the Tower of Babel and it's close to when it says no man has seen God and lived. And then Moses um, goes up to the mountain to get these tablets from God. Mm. But he talks to a burning bush. I think I think it was somewhere like in the second chapter or something like that. But I can't remember like that. Oh, but yeah, I'm just I'm just saying, though, imagine imagine when when your when your population your your cultural group that you belong to no longer retained the information that explains something you have to start over so so if 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 you don't remember earthquakes and it's not in it's not in the cultural memory of your people anymore and then an earthquake happens you have to come up with an explanation for that and you can't dig into the records because it's it's out of memory. So I'm I'm saying that to say that groups of people learn to save information and they invented figurative expressions and storytelling and 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 all kinds of ways to remember things. Remember remembering is a very very popular and very important commodity of the ancient world. Memory 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 whether it's information or whether it's people because that's a matter of survival if you don't remember how ferocious a certain animal is or how an animal likes to live in a certain area and you and you don't know that then you you are in danger yeah when you uh, look at you know, it was killing people for um this ain't not too that, that long ago uh, seizures like seizures, ain't, people didn't just start having seizures. Like back in the day, shoot, man, that's the demonic spirit. Like they gonna kill you. Yeah, <laughs> what that was. <laughs> For real. No, yeah. but I wanted to say, uh, if I could, real quick, the hippo. Mm-hmm. You know, is a big, it's fast in the water, and it's yep. dangerous. Yeah, it'll, t- it'll tear, it'll tear you up. Uh, they kill a lot of a lot of people. Yeah. That's why. That's why it's people and sharks. That's why. That's why the hippo is part of the amalgamated animal on on the image. Right. Right. The hippopotamus is um a part of that. The they they were they were known as as ferocious um animals that were a danger to to the Egyptians themselves. The Very lion. territorial. Yeah, you get close to hippo, you'll realize why that's uh why it goes down <laughs> like that. Yeah, hippo and a crocodile, boy. If you if you get snagged in the water and that crocodile start twisting, that's a wrap. You know, it's over. 
Yeah, I'm showing my age, but I don't know if y'all remember that game, Hungry Hungry Hippo. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, Hungry Hungry Hippo. Hungry Hungry <laughs> Hippo. Yeah, I remember that. And they and they they don't play. They don't play. Um, I was gonna say something. Dag, it was. Oh man, it was something. They remember. Hey, but would you? I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get out of here, man. You know, I'm, we'll get up next time. I appreciate you coming through. Good questions, man. So we got we got to build like build more because, you know, like I said, this I'm going to do a series. I didn't have a specific thing this time, but I'm going to try to narrow down to some specific misinformation. But if anybody got suggestions of things they may have heard and, and want to be addressed, then, man, shoot, shoot it to me or anybody um, in our Facebook group or whatever, man. So just do that. For sure. For sure. But uh, so yeah, I, I'm going to sh- um, shut it down. It's one o'clock, and it's a weekday in the middle of the week. Um, but I was going to say something though, man, about that about that memory, and how important it is. Um, it's a you know it's a matter of survival. But anyway, I mean, I think the point was made. You know, re- remembering things was very important. It was in, to ancient people. Oh, and so that's what I was going to get to. So. You have to think about the um the the like if like writing to to invent writing and for it to become successful and and to stay in 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 use is is like a very 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 big thing it would it would be equivalent of like a hundred nobel peace prize prizes you know today because writing completely changed everything to be able to store information in a visual format because writing is the visual representation of speech. And so to invent that successfully is, is genius all out the wazoo. So they deified that, you know, Jehudi is the, is the Lord of um, Medunetcher and the document, the document, takers or the or the people who actually document that are the seshu scribes and so jehudi becomes the patron deity over the scribes and with sashat being the feminine patroness over all of that and so that was a a huge huge thing so much so that the that the deities if you think about it all of the neturu are illiterate except for jehudi and sashat and maybe one or two others. All the rest of them don't read and write. Like, think about that. When you, if you ever read text, I don't care if you you could read the um, sesh or trans English translations, whatever. You're gonna find that all the deities, whenever they need to be communicated to, it's never in writing. Jehudi Jehudi stand there, and he has to recite. He has to read to them what what is written. Even in the judgment scene, hold on, let me show this. Show this again. Oh, well, it's, it's not in this portion, so you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to see it. But if if you look at the the other parts of this um, text, you would see that um, once a person goes through this um, weighing ritual, this ritual that you see on the screen, a report is given to some other deities and Jehudi is the one who relays it to them 
but he's the one reading from what he's writing to them. He's reciting it to them. And then based on what he says to them from the record, then they make a decision. And, you know, I don't, it's just not in this picture here. Maybe next time I'll show that, show that scene. Um, but y'all can check it out. Just, just look, just look up the scenes of this and then the scenes come right after. Okay. But anyway, anybody else have anything closing? Cause I'm going to shut it down. No, just thanks for letting me chill with y'all and chop it up or go back and forth, you know, converse. All right. No problem, man. Everybody's always welcome, man. You know, this, this, we want to um, keep a, a forward progress and sometimes we have to pause and deal with, you know, nonsense and stuff and then push, push ahead. And that's, that's what it's about. This series, you know, we want to deal with misinformation. I, 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 man, I've heard quite a bit lately, you know, um, things that don't make sense. I tried to, uh, I tried to, I know we're wrapping it up, but I, I tried to challenge you a little bit to try to see what you want to do because, I know you're a little bit more fluid and stuff like that. And it, uh, just a, a critique, it seems like we we go over it and over it and over it again, like in a certain, which is good for me because I'm slow. Uh, <laughs> I'll admit that, but you know I get it already. But it seems like we we're, we're going over the same thing in a circle. Uh, I say that with respect. Yeah. No. Nah, I mean, listen. I have to go because if it was completely up to me and I had no regard for, for anybody listening, I probably wouldn't talk about 50% of things that come out of my mouth. Like, like really, because my mind is on other things. Like I'm, I'm already at the point of tapping into the genius as a resource and not this trivial feel good stuff and noisy stuff. People, other people talk about, like I could care less who wins the argument of whether Egyptians are black or not. I really could care less. Cause I don't care. I don't care what color they were or what color people think they are. It's their genius that matters. Everything else it does. It's irrelevant. Cause they're not here today. The civilization is in ruins. We have a plethora of things that, that left behind. Let's, let's use it as a resource. See what we can use today. That's it. What we can't use put it in the closet, whatever we can use, bring it out and use it. That's what we do with stuff now. Everything in your house, you don't use everything in your house. Every, things you don't use anymore, you put it in the basement or the garage or the attic or put it in storage somewhere. Things that you still use, you use it. That's it. And so that's for any civilization. And we're not Egyptians. <laughs> you know, people believe that. We're not, we're not Egyptians. Egyptians are, are 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 gone as a culture. What what whatever identifies them as Egyptians, that's done. Now, obviously, the gene pool. Obviously, people had children, 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 children. So, obviously, the gene pool of who of and you got to remember the Egyptians was never a, a homogeneous group of people to begin with. But whatever demarcation we could put around that, of course, those genes tumble and survive. But the culture, nah. We're not even river culture. So that's a dream. People believing that they're Egyptian, they're not going anywhere with that stuff. Just not, it's just not happening. So um, 
yeah, I'm I'm into some I'm into some other other things. If it was up to me, but I, but like I said, certain conversations I do not have because there are prerequisites to it. Even some of the stuff I was saying tonight, even about this picture that's on the screen. Um, there's a lot of people who will not see this as a psychoanalytical tool because they're not up on, you know, taking the um trying to get the realities behind the figurative expressions. They don't even know this figurative because they they got a conflict there, and I and I prove that all the time. And yeah, and you do, but I think the conversation was more. It had the spirit of trying to trap you into something. That's what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? It that's it. That's the energy I got from it. That was trying to trap you into some pseudoness, some spookiness, and just trying to make you defend it. But you you know, you did what you always did, stay consistent and and um painted the picture how you always painted and gave the analogies and, and, and things of that nature. But to me, that's how I took it. And I was like, you know. Man, this is over and over again. But I was trying yeah. to be like respectful and stuff, you know, and just listen, be a be a student, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's 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 get it's gonna get there. It's gonna it's gonna get there. The conversations um are gonna get there as people learn and stuff. Like I'm all for people studying and learning. Um, yeah, and it's gonna get there because certain things that I that I say now that you know two years ago. I would probably be more hesitant to say because I know that if people are not ready for the conversation, what it's going to trigger like that ancestral um, veneration conversation, boy, that's a doozy. There are people who, who convert to African traditions right now that that kind of conversation will, will, will not sit too right right now with, with people. Because they're still in a learning process and a conversion process of that. Divination, ancestral veneration, all of those are, are, are on my plate to discuss. But, you know, it's, I guess it'll take some time to get there. Because not what people, you know, think. Sacrifice shrines, leaving, leaving food, sacrifice stuff for ancestors, what ancestors are. What are spirits? Are ancestors spirits? If so, what what contains them? You know, where's the demarcation to differentiate one, two different ancestors? If they're both spirits, what what sep what what distinguishes them the two? If they get in too close of proximity to each other, are they just going to emerge? Are they just a ball of energy? Like, what makes them distinct? You know, I mean, I man, I could just ask a list of questions that that um, will just reveal and expose the logic flow and people will be able to detect and dissect where the inconsistencies are. And it, it should cause people to, to rethink and reanalyze what they what they think they know. Exactly. And that would be a good thing to see, you know. Uh, I'm not saying do it on purpose, because obviously, you know, you're a teacher and you have the spirit of, uh, you know, being humble and and things of that nature, but it would be good to see that demonstration. Yeah, I mean, I I, I do have a conversation in in very small circles. Like, I have a lot of friends who are into African traditions. 
I mean, my daughters are Isheshe practitioners, Ifa initiated in the various different um, tenets in Isheshe, you know, went through several initiations and all this and that. So I'm very, very familiar. Although myself, I, I, I was not a convert. I didn't convert or deal with that. Um, and so I have a lot of friends around associated with that and, and other traditions. Um, and I have certain conversations with them, you know, kind of testing the waters over time, you know, and I say things and they, really, they end up being really good conversations. And, and some of them understand, like, I, like, for example, something I said tonight, I said the, the straight, straight line, straight shot purpose of um, ancestral veneration is rooted in memory. That's the entire point of ancestral veneration is to remember. And by remembering, you, the person is keeping the ancestor alive in the minds of the living. And that, and that is called the afterlife. And so the longer you can do that, the, the, the longer their, their immortality survives. The moment that a living person no longer remembers a deceased person, that deceased person ceased to exist. This is basic logic. You can't exist if no one is aware of you. And this, this is a very, very African phenomenon, so much so. And like I said, I can explain all of this. It just takes a long time. So we can dedicate shows to this stuff. But in a nutshell, it connects into the name, what a name is, really is, and how a name is really the identity, which is really a definition of a thing. And so the moment that that limiter, which is what a definition is, to define something is to place a limit around it. Once that limiter or border or barrier is destroyed, what's inside it becomes unidentifiable. And, and for this reason, we can explain it biologically. For this same reason, when you get your DNA um, sequenced, your autosomal or nuclear DNA, your admixture, when people talk about the percentage, if you go back five generations, by the time you get to the sixth and possibly the seventh, no one can be identified. There's nothing to identify. That's why your autosomal DNA can only go back five, uh, possibly six generations. It cannot go back any further than that because the resolution of distinction shatters. It, 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 blur, it blurs into, into nothingness. There's nothing to identify, I mean, to distinguish. And so that's the same thing um, that that happens you know with names when that when that def definitive border of identity is is blurred and evaporates and decays and evaporates the thing that was once identifiable becomes emerged into the ocean of you know formlessness and that's non-existence and in Kemet, they describe this stuff 
um, as new, the deity new or nun, or this, this thing new or nun is this formless, infinite and eternal substance, for lack of a better word, in which things come into existence from. And how they come into existence is to place a limit around something. And then it is distinguishable and identifiable. Therefore, that identifiableness is its name. And we think of a name as, as a word that we give to something. But no, a real name is a thing's existence itself. Because that demarcation that makes it a thing, apart from all the ocean of, of formlessness, and so when people go back into that state, they cease to exist. So remember, new contains non-existence and existence come out, comes out of it. And, you know, it's a lot to explain because but that's how the Egyptians um, conceive it. That's how they conceived it into, in their uh, consciousness, in their psyche. They explain it. There's nothing beyond new. New is the, is the furthest back you're going to go. Everything comes out of new. New is the ultimate ancestor in, in, the, in the sequence of how things come to be. And the process of coming into being was deified by a scarab beetle named Kepper. Kepper is that process of coming into being. You know, so it's, and, and, and this aspect of what I'm explaining is experienced by every human on the planet. Because I'm, I'm going to give you a, a real example. So, Donnie, prior to me ever coming in contact with you and prior to you ever coming in contact with me, I did not exist to you. And the moment that you perceived me, and could, dis and could distinguish me from the ocean of, of non-existence, I therefore came into existence to you. And so that phenomenon right there of, of, of me not existing to you, but yet I exist, is explained. And so it's, it's, it's like, you know, you are, you know, the center of your own, you know, perception, like everything that you perceive comes into existence in and out. And so memory plays a big part of that in terms of keeping ancestors alive. And if you build a shrine to an ancestor. Nowadays, we do much more than that. We have pictures, we have uh, mur murals painted and built for ancestors and stuff like that, statues and everything. However we do it, the goal is to remember. Even the ritual of fixing a plate of food, like if you have a family of four and a, um, a grandparent passed away, you're going to fix a plate, four plates for your family and a fifth <laughs> for the past ancestor that, that's deceased. The fact that you do it is an act of remembering. And you're going to always remember it because you're fixing an extra plate all the time. And so what you're feeding is the memory. That ritual of doing it is you're feeding the memory. You're, you're actually re continuously remembering the, um, the person who actually lives in your mind. 
They're not going to eat the food. And a close, a, cl a close ancestor will live on the physiological side as well. They're, they're in you because you inherited part of their um, DNA. So physically, they're influencing you because DNA gives the instructions to build proteins for the body to function. So that ancestor's physical aspect is influencing you. And then the ancestor's other aspects influence you as well. And so this is where you get the word affect or this person who you cannot see still affects you. And it's the effective ones that are called ak and aku in the language. So these are the effective ones and they live in the effective place called the aket. And so the aket is entered into the West. So when you die, you go into the West, you go into the underworld. The underworld is the subconscious and in the memory of the, of the people in the living. And it follows the path of the sun because the sun physically does this stuff. It sets in the West on the right-hand side of the Egyptians. And then all of a sudden it pops up on the left. So it gets swallowed up and then it gives birth. And one, it depends on how it's explained. Sometimes it's swallowed by um, Nut. And then she gives birth to it in the morning. It travels along her back and she gives birth. Sometimes it travels along the back of a cow or with a cow. And then sometimes it um, is remanifested or carved into a ball or circle by the beetle. Kepper. Who brings it back into existence. So it's different ways that they explain this stuff, but it's, it's, it's connected. We connect the dots. But anyway, so people are going to um, really need to think about it. And another thing I say is that um, that's, that's connected to this conversation, though, but it, it needs to be thrown in there somewhere is the fact that siblings do not have the same ancestors. So, Donnie, do you have any brothers and sisters? Uh, yes. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you now. I said, do you yeah. have any? Um... Yes. Yes. Okay. So you, I'm talking about full, full brothers is like with the same, both parents, the same. Yes. Okay. Like you and your siblings, you do not have the exact same ancestors, biological ancestors. You don't have the same ancestors. How is that so if we both have the same mother and father? Because the way that you inherit, you inherit um, DNA from your parents, you don't, you don't inherit the same, the same blocks of DNA. So you get 50% from your mother and 50%, roughly 50% from your father and roughly 50% from your mother. And your sibling does the same. But your sibling doesn't get the same 50% from both parents as you do, even though both okay. you all get 50%, but you don't get the same 50%. And okay. so, what, so whatever genes you inherit, you inherited some genes that your sibling did not. And those, okay. genes, and those genes that you inherited may be on portions of, of the chromosomes and stuff like that that your parents got from, from their parents and so on. And so if you don't inherit them in that, that 
it, it didn't come down in the 50% you got from them, but it did in your sibling. Then guess what? You and your sibling have different ancestors connected to you. Okay. Makes sense. And that changes the game on, on the whole conversation of ancestral veneration as well. Because mm. see, now, now we, we know ever since 2003 when the human genome was mapped, now, now we, we, we leverage that and use it. And we can reanalyze a lot of things. So, so the idea of having a family worship an ancestor or, or venerate an ancestor collectively is has to kind of get tweaked and changed a bit because not everybody in the family has the same ancestors they're not connected like that and so the idea of influence physical influence is is is, is changed it has to change so you have certain ancestors in you as your blueprint to your bodily functions for DNA that your sibling does not have and vice versa. So ancestors are influencing you that are not influencing your siblings. You gotcha. know? But now mentally, psychologically, they can influence because that's in the memory. That's in what you know, what you, what you know about them. And that can influence your decisions just because your ancestor, even if you're not biologically connected to them, it could be your fourth great, grandparent paternally but because you know about them and what they did that may influence you to make decisions to do the same thing therefore they are affecting you but it's not a physiological or biological effect it's a it's a a psychological one and so that's a different thing so all of these things had to to be evaluated and things and upgraded into what people do today but in a tradition a tradition is different than a culture. A tradition is a snapshot at any given moment of a culture and people get stuck. A culture is a living thing. It keeps up with the real time. A tradition doesn't. A tradition is like a, a, a freeze frame. And then some people get locked and time goes on, but they get locked into that tradition. And, and, and when, when traditions overwhelm the living adaptable aspects of culture it poisons the culture it 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 sickens the culture to where the culture um collapses or becomes vulnerable to pathogens called invasions and other ideologies that that destroy it and that is how a lot of cultures on the continent come to to the state that it's in now because people get stuck in traditions and not feeding the culture they feed the past snap because tradition by definition implies past tense culture is a continuum it's living it's forever adapting it's 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 a tacit agreement among the people how they solve problems and you know all the list of things that make a culture culture that's supposed to be living And, I'm a, and, 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 and this will be the last example I'm going to give. The difference between the tradition and the culture. So I'm going to use you, Donnie. If, if, if somebody, if you were on a cruise ship and somebody throws you overboard on the boat, you can't 
take a snapshot of how you live on the boat and then take that into the water with you and try to live that way. You have to adjust. You have to hold your breath or better. You have to have some scuba gear and stuff to survive in the water. But if you try to live in the water as if you were on the boat breathing air, you would die. And so that's what tradition does to culture when it gets overwhelmed. People try to live in the past when the culture needs a real-time adjustments and adaptations. And so when the, when the past, people trying to live in the past, overwhelms it, it becomes sick, weakened, and vulnerable. Mm. And so well, us, Af as African-Americans in America trying to find identity, we are converting to African traditions and many of them are, are not keeping up to the pace of the real-time culture. And so it's almost like we're setting ourselves back. And now we understand why, because we have this gap and this void of identity, identity crisis. And so we, we feel compelled to convert. We leave Christianity, we leave Islam, Judaism, all that kind of stuff. And then we set our eyes over in West Africa and then we become West Africans but yet in a non-West African environment trying to cling or convert to a tradition that even in West African standards is a tradition, is past. But by definition, it's a past thing kept, kept current. So it's like taking a picture and then just keeping it instead of watching the real movie, the real-time movie, you know, so almost like YouTube, there's a lag between you and I having this discussion in Zoom, but on YouTube, there's a, there's a, there's a lag. So imagine if I'm staring at the, um, or, if, or if I pause the video and I push pause, the live video, I push pause. The live video kept going, but I'm pushing pause and I'm just staring at, at one part of the conversation and I'm doing that for, for like 30 minutes. I'm going to miss the live conversation. And that's what mm -hmm. happens with traditions. I mean, I'm over-exaggerating, but that's the essence of the difference between traditions and the culture. You know? I get it. Yeah. So, and I'm, and I'm saying this for, for everybody listening, too. So, it's that's the kind of conversation we need to have. And you know, I, I had this conversation a few times with people, but um, we need to bring that up again and reassess and that's what people are afraid to do reassess old things because you got two sides of it you have people who don't want to reassess and update you want to people want to keep things as they were in the past and then you have people who that if you did update a tradition they demonize you and say and try to hold you to the old ways I give you, I give you an example of that, and I know I'm going to go with that. A Nation of Islam is a perfect example. Nation of Islam was born in the early 1900s, like what 1930, somewhere around there, and it was born out of a certain con condition in society, and had a mission, and it it did what it did, you know, from the beginning, and as time went on, it unfolded, it did what it did. Um. 
in more recent times, the Nation of Islam started to change up. A perfect example is um, Scientology. L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology. You got people who demonize Nation of Islam forever of get, being associated with um, Scientology and all that kind of stuff. And they want to they want to go they want to stick to um, message to the black man, um, theology of time, and the lessons, the one to forty, one to thirty six, and all that kind of stuff. They want to just boom, that's it. But yet you want Nation of Islam to kind of upgrade and deal with Scientology and deal with some other things, and people demonize on both sides of that. And so that's a that's an example of damned if you do, damned if you don't. And so likewise with these traditions. Um, same thing goes, same thing happens. So, but all right, though, I am definitely going to, um, be shutting this down. I see. Uh, so let me say, uh, I appreciate everybody tuned in, man. I, you know, I let, I put the link at the, at the, at the top. So in case you did not see it sitting right there in the blue, the panel link, um, you missed it. So next time, just look for that panel link. And if you want to join the panel and, and and chime in on the conversation, please do. Everybody is welcome um, and all that good stuff. So, um, but I appreciate anybody in the chat that's watching, tuned in. Um, hope you enjoy the conversation. You know, if you don't, tell us why. Come on the next conversation and, and say, remember what you said last week? Well, you know, I didn't like this part. You know, do that. <laughs> It's all good. So hey, I see Sean. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm just, I'm just shouting out a few people. So I see I see uh, uh, Sean or Eni Haret, Kalfani, Sutek, uh, Desharab, uh, Brother Mathis. I'm just scrolling up. Jolanda. I know she's in here. Or she was in here. Um, Brother Zane. Zane, Zane was in here or is in here. I can't see who's in here now. Uh, everything is everything. Uh, Majay L. Boabab. And then we had somebody from London just now. Who's that? Um, oh, Fitz. Fitz number one is in the house. Uh, RG or Argy, Ars, Dua Hotep. Yeah. So, so let me see, Sean. So Sean says, yeah, Islam is around, but they are more solid than Yoruba traditions culturally. Um, is that right on time, Miss Island? So yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, my, my my point. You know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna like you know do a specific topic of tradition versus culture, because you know I kind of met I kind of mentioned it in passing quite a few times, but I want to have like a a definitive conversation about that. And, and I think it'd be a good conversation to identify the differences between what we, what we call traditions versus what we call cultures or a culture. We could pick a culture and look at the, the traditions within it. And then, you know, just analyze what the difference is and stuff. So, um, so yeah, anyway, Hopefully we could do that because I had a couple of these conversations before. It's interesting. It's, it's interesting, man. The feedback that I, I get from people who are diehard folks. I mean, 
it's nothing to really argue. So it's just it's a good conversation to have. And it's respected. It's appreciated on both sides. I appreciate the insight. I got people uh, from Ghana had conversations with. I got people from Kenya, people um, from Nigeria. And I'm not talking about converts, people who are born and raised here and then, you know, get initiated and convert. I'm talking about people who born and raised and come up and all this and that. You know, like it's they breathe and they sweat their culture from the from the from the from birth. <laughs> it's interesting. So all right, so I'm gonna say peace, man. Hopefully everybody has um uh rest of their night. I know West Coast folks, you still got a couple of hours, but I'm gonna say peace. So next time, so they Wednesday, our next our next official show is gonna be Friday, Freestyle Fridays. We're going to get into the language a bit and all that good stuff. So I'm going to say peace and um, Shimon Hotel. Shout out.